I used to think this was the beginning of our story. Welcome to episode 179 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. And I'm Jordan Spires. Hello, Jordan. Welcome back, Jordan. I'm glad you could be privy to whatever the hell that was before we came on air. <laughs> <laughs> I called Manny Chief. He called me yep. a racist. <laughs> and he got called a white boy. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, one of those things is true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yes. No, I'm happy to be back. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been far too long. When was the last one? It was, I think it was in September, because it was, it was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Sweet. I think that was right after I got back from Victoria. Damn, so yeah, that was, uh, well, yeah, you came on for Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, Deathly Hallows Part 2. So it's been over yeah. a year then. Yeah, it's that been a is, minute. That is fucked up. So you've been on for those two... Toy yeah. Story 4 and Annihilation? Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah this is, not, this is lucky number five. five. This is number five, which now ties you with Michael Chardulo for the most all time. Charts has been on five? Five, yeah. Damn. Yeah, he came on for two in our uh, in our Kevin Smith series. Ah. Uh, uh, we just did. So he came on for Mallrats and he came on for Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Yep. So you're going to be tied for a little bit. For a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Until the next one, whenever that may be. Whenever that may be. But yes, we're so happy to have you back, Jordan. Thank you for joining us for, if I'm not mistaken, one of your favorite films of all time. This is top 10 top for ten. sure top for me. Ten. Top 10. Do you remember yeah. where this sat exactly in the it, in the list? In, in the list when you guys did it, what, like two years ago? <laughs> I think it sat, maybe not quite two years. Well, I think yeah, it sat it was... at number nine. It was April of 2020, I believe. Yeah, that feels right. So yeah, I think yeah, I had it. I had it at number nine. Yeah, it's number um, nine. I've got your list right here. But I <laughs> think, like, I was look. I was looking at my list today, and I think I could make some changes. I think it's higher. Nice. Yeah. All right. I've been thinking about going back and revising because I think I do have a couple of changes. Yeah. Not not anything major, especially to the top ten, but, uh, but yeah, the the bottom stuff like. Yeah. Uh, I think I had... I had I had Empire Strikes Back at number nineteen. Don't think that's on there anymore. <laughs> it's not even on there. I think you just broke Adam's heart. Yeah, well, oh, wow. I mean, it's still a good movie. It's just <laughs> you know, there's twenty better movies than yeah. that I like more than it. Yeah, I had some recency bias in mind. I think there's a couple movies I would I would kick off of it for now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I, I had I little I had little women too. on there, and I'm just like, mm, I do love that movie. Not 20 of all time, though, I think. I kind of want to rewatch 8th Grade, because that was on mine. and Oh, that I, must still be on yours. Come on. It's... I don't... I I think it probably is, but I'm not sure. I'll, yeah. have, to, I'll have to visit. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's just about everything. Manny, do we have news on the Halloween episode uh, coming up? We do. Okay. We do. After our four nominees were put out there for votes, which include the films The Fly, Halloween Town, Let the Right One In, and The Omen were the four nominated films for this year's Halloween episode. Winning this year for the 2021 Halloween fan-selected episode with 50% of the votes is Halloween Town. I knew it. <laughs> I fucking knew it. 
Oh, I knew it. Very happy. After <laughs> fuck, after years of lobbying from Abby, my so-called friend, she has finally won the day, and Halloween yeah. Town is the fucking Halloween movie that we will be reviewing. She better listen to this fucking episode. I swear to God. I think she wanted to be on it. Okay. I'm going to reach out to her tomorrow and let her know and see if she's available to join us. Okay. I doubt it because she does have a very uh, young son. Mm. So I'll see if I can get it to work, but it's highly unlikely. But, I was so optimistic. So like, <laughs> so what was it? The Omen, The Fly, and what was the other one? Let the Right One In? Yep. God. Yeah. Three excellent choices. Yeah. Halloween and the Town. three other excellent choices only equaled the same amount of votes that Halloween Town got. <laughs> Halloween Some... Town was an overwhelming favorite. Didn't I, I tell I you, be... though? Didn't yes. I tell you that if we allowed this thing to go on the ballot, that it would be chosen? Yes. <laughs> I only voted for it because of the conversations I was seeing on the Facebook page. Precisely. <laughs> like, this is great. I have to vote for it. I want to see this. I'm going to listen to That's exactly this. <laughs> what I told him. I'm like, the more attention we draw to this, the more likely it is to get chosen. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> this is a bigger travesty than Shooter McGavin being the greatest movie villain of all time. Yeah, truly. Oh, I'm still salty about that. Uh, Jordan, Manny had not heard of Bodie McBoatface, and I, I regaled him with, uh, with the tale of what the internet can do <laughs> when a bunch of idiots put their mind together. Bodie McBoatface. You hadn't heard of that, hey? Damn. No. I thought that was everywhere. No. So, congratulations to Abby, and to Abby and Halloween Town's biggest supporter, uh, one of my closest friends, Mushhead. Um, that fucking bitch really got shit rallied around <laughs> Halloween Town, and uh, and brought it to a win. the The silver lining, though, is we will no longer have to deal with Halloween Town being in the Halloween nomination process. Now, I am understanding that there is like a sequel to this. I can flat <laughs> out tell you right now, no matter how much lobbying is put forth. For the sequel to Halloween Town. The only way I will allow a Halloween Town sequel to ever even make it to the voting process is if I score Halloween Town a five. <laughs> that is the... So you're saying it's not it's not going to make it. For all we know, Halloween Town could be a fucking masterpiece. Fifty percent so... of the people out there believe that this movie is worthy of us devoting an entire episode to review. So we'll see. I really wanted it to be the fly. If so I'm being totally I. honest, I didn't. <laughs> I know that we said we got a vote. I did not vote. <laughs> Your vote wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, exactly. That, Let that be a lesson to everybody in the democratic process. Your vote actually doesn't matter. It it does. And like Sam, as the vote was playing out, I obviously knew you weren't going to vote for Halloween Town. When yeah. it started to pull away, that's why I didn't ask you for your vote. Because it was so far ahead, your, your vote wouldn't really have mattered. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have affected it. Damn. So, not only, uh, not only did it win, but it also got a majority of parliament, I think is how that works. Yes. Well, <laughs> no, not if we count your vote. 
Oh, okay. Well, I guess we didn't because I didn't get to the ballots. In okay, time. who are you voting for? I'll put it in. I, uh, I would have voted for the fly. Okay. I don't think I voted either. So I, I too, would have voted for the fly. <laughs> so that now the, does drop. That do, that that drops. The democratic talk. process at work. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> okay. <clears throat> so Halloween Town, Sam, you have to have it ready by next week now. Oh, good. Yeah, good thing, too, because I was just complaining off air about uh, what a <laughs> tired sad sack I am and how I have no time to do anything that I like anymore. But at least I get to watch Halloween Town. So this movie better be good. <laughs> Hold on. That's what I'm saying. Did you guys do Nosferatu last year? Was yeah. that your Halloween pick? Yeah, we yeah. both gave it a two, but we both came away from it saying yeah. we were glad we watched it yeah, just because totally. it was historic. Totally. And... Okay, yeah. it's, it's under 90 minutes if that makes you feel better. That makes you feel a lot better, actually. Okay. Uh, hold on. Let's... The other movie that we're watching next week, though, that we're recording next <laughs> week is very much not under 90 minutes, but I'm okay with that. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just quickly go through here. I'm going to go through the first... Uh, I'm going to go through... The, there, uh, there's 53 user reviews for Halloween Town. <laughs> I'm just going to quickly look at the first five. What if there's spoilers, Manny? I'm not reading them. I'm looking at the scores. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay. Seven. Six. Seven. Eight. With the header on that eight. A Halloween classic. Next up, a one. <laughs> and then an eight. With the header on the, the other eight. Could be the best Halloween movie ever. Period. Seriously. Period. I almost don't want to listen to you guys review this movie. <laughs> it's going to hurt. <laughs> okay. So Have you seen it, Jordan? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I watched and? it as a kid. What's your, rate, what's, your rating, I... what's your rating out of five? <laughs> Too far, I haven't seen it in a long time. I think when I watched it when I was younger, I think it's a solid four for me. Holy fuck. Okay. But I haven't watched it as an adult, so maybe I'll watch it with you guys, and I'll see if my I'll see if it changes. Maybe we'll be surprised. I mean, my preconceived notions of this movie come solely from Manny's resistance to having done it. <laughs> I really don't know a lot about the movie. I know nothing about. But it's this a movie. TV movie, which I believe is the source of the, uh, I don't know, the source of the pushback. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Like I said, when Sam and I discussed the possibility of this being in the nominated films, is if we do, if it do, if we put it in there, the nice thing is, is that once a film gets nominated, we, we put it on a moratorium. So like, even if Halloween Town hadn't won this year, it wouldn't have, it would have been ineligible to make the final four next year. Mm-hmm. So the Omen, the Fly, and Let the Right One In, sorry, they don't get a chance next year. <laughs> so those those guys got fucked over. Yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't want good movies to have a chance to get reviewed on this podcast. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> but now that does mean that w once this is over, this fucking bullshit is over. <laughs> so Abby and Mushhead can fuck right off. So thanks to everybody for their nominations. No, everyone else, ev everyone else with those real nominations. I love you. Thank you so much. We had we had fifteen nominated films this year. Wow. Yeah. 
So yeah, to, a lot each, of this year. to each and every one of you 14 people that nominated a real good movie, I <laughs> love you. Abby and Mushhead can go fuck themselves. Okay. Now that my bitterness is over. Let's for now. Let, for now. Until next week when I have to fucking watch this piece <laughs> of shit. <clears throat> Let's get into something that will bring us much more joy. It has been a while. But now it is time for the return of something that people seem to enjoy. And that is Maya's movie moment. Hello and welcome to Maya's movie moment. It has been a long time since too we've long. done. Too long. I know. We've been so busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome back, sweetheart. Yeah. Are you happy to be back? Yeah. Yeah. You were just saying something before we started recording. Do you want to re- do you want to repeat no. it? You don't want to repeat it? No. Okay. Just checking. All right. So, it has been a while. What is your favorite movie? Um It was Space Jam, but now it's a one cuz I finished um the everything. I finished my whole entire I finished the movie, plus I finished the whole entire season of the show, so and Sailor Moon beat. So Sailor Moon is back to being your favorite movie? Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. The only new movie I'm watching is, um, well, it's not new. We've watched it, but my mom and dad haven't. Ryan Lost Dragon. Oh, you watched that with your mom and dad? We're not finished it yet. Oh, though. you started it and didn't yeah. finish it? Yeah. That's annoying. They wouldn't let me finish it. They wouldn't let... Why? Was it close to bedtime? No, we stayed up about till, um, nine or something. That's past your bedtime. Yeah, no wonder you didn't get to finish it. Yeah. Were they I, liking it? Did you... Do you still like it? I love yeah, that. Yeah, I was spoiling it. You were spoiling it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You'd like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're horrible like that. Ah. Are you just going to eat an apple while recording podcast? Yep. <laughs> Wait, I'm hungry. <laughs> I want my tooth to fall out. Uh, you do have a wiggly tooth. Oh, <laughs> All right, so Sailor Moon is back on top. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite character in Sailor Moon? I like said that like about a thousand times. Well, why don't we find it's out Sailor how Sailor Mars? Sailor Mars. All right. I think that's your favorite too. I, I it's been a while since I've watched it, so I honestly can't. We didn't remember. even finish the movie. Well, we finished the first movie. We just haven't watched the second one. We haven't watched the second part. I'll watch it today then. No. Why? We're watching it. Um, We're going to watch it together? Yeah. Why? So you can spoil it? Yeah. Okay. Basically. Uh, what's your favorite part? Um, it's not. I don't really have like a most favorite part in the movie, but I only have a most favorite part in the show. You got to stay close to the mic. I want. I have a most. I don't have a most favorite in the in the movie. I only have a most favorite in the shit. Okay, well, why don't you share that with us? Uh, when they first figured out that the moon, that actually Tibby Moon, the pink-haired girl, was actually their daughter. Okay. And and they went what? And I paused, and it was funny. And I was, and when they first saw Tibby Moon for the first time. Yeah. Um. She had a pretend gun, and I didn't know. So she said, hand over the solar crystal. And this gun's loaded. And so 
Yeah, and it's really funny. Sounds pretty funny. Yeah. Now, we've also been reading a new book recently. We bought a brand new book based on a movie that you want to watch. Do you remember the name of it? Out of Time. No, that's the license plate. It's called... Into Time. No, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Yeah, we read a book of Back to the Future, and now you want to watch it? Mm-hmm. That makes me really happy. Because it's my third favorite movie of all time. Yeah, it's my number three. What's your first? Pulp Fiction. You can't watch that. I know. <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah. I, I was like, I bet it's not that. Okay. Whenever we would guess. Well, you're snacking on something right now. What are you snacking on? An apple. Apples. What do you like to snack on while watching a movie? <laughs> Something really, really snacked on when I was with my mom. Okay, tell me. Don't don't eat while you're while you're talking. Okay, fine. Um, I had Brussels sprouts. You had Brussels sprouts while watching a movie. <laughs> that doesn't sound very and, pleasant. And um, because today it's because um, because um, it's um, because today's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, we're going to um, I think all of our family members, I think a whole bunch of our family members coming to our house, and I think we're gonna like, I think some of my friends are coming over, and I think at the end, um, me and my friends are are gonna um, like when like um, um, cause all the adults I think are gonna hang outside, so we get to watch shows. I think that'll be fun, hey. Yeah, and I think we're gonna watch um. Because um, Kobe, my best friend, um, well, not my best friend, she's my friend from school, and she loves the moon, so I think we're going to watch um, the movie. Okay, sounds great. Well, I think we're all caught up. Yeah. It's so great to have you back. I hope we start doing... <laughs> <laughs> I love the apple. I know, but we're, we're trying to talk and have a hey. podcast, and you're shoving food in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's great to have you back. I hope we start doing this again regularly because it means a lot yeah, to me. Yeah, but we won't be able to do it next week. No, we won't be able to do it next week. Okay. So, did you want to say anything before we go? No. No? Okay. So, for Maya's movie moment. So, just say bye. I'm Maddie Manuel. I'm something. What's your name? Maya. Maya. Adios. Bye-bye. <laughs> What a brat. You've got such a little character on your hands. Yeah, man. She's she's getting <laughs> sassier by the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know uh how you're raising your child that she doesn't know her own name. You know, she, I'm I'm something. Yeah. Or maybe she's I mean, to be fair, she is something. <laughs> yeah. Something of a brat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can just picture sitting there eating an apple. The funny thing is eating an apple. Giving a character an apple to eat is one of my favorite movie tropes of just like a shorthand to let you know this person's an asshole. <laughs> just give a guy an apple to eat. Trying to sit her in her chair, yep. <laughs> eating an apple. That's funny. It's ridiculous. Uh, still no plans to let her watch uh, Pulp Fiction, hey? Eh? No. no. <laughs> the thing is, like, well, obviously she wouldn't get it, mm. and it's not like it's. There's some violence, obviously, like with Marvin's head. But uh, I mean, the basement is pretty violent. Yeah, the ba- basement's pretty violent. <clears throat> but then I was also like, you know, obviously the language is a little much. 
Mm -hmm. But um, she has uh, two swear jars at home. One for her mother and one for her father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chad, her father, her stepfather, her father, uh, I think he has a total of about 50 cents in his swear jar. Uh, her mother, Julie, has, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, has filled it four times. <laughs> <laughs> Which is completely opposite of what I would have expected, because I, I know both Julie and Chad, yes. and I worked with Chad for a long time. Batman can swear like a fucking sailor yeah. when he wants to. Yeah, <laughs> but he uh, he knows how to rein it in with his children, whereas uh, my ex-wife does not. Mm. So yeah, so no Pulp Fiction, uh, no time uh, in the future, but Back to the Future is on the docket. Nice. Yeah, I was gonna say I appreciate you talking about the about that you read the book the the like like the little picture books. Yeah, they're... I think I like know the series you're talking about. I think there's like a Die Hard one too. Is there really? Because we <laughs> I we, think so. Yeah, we bought the ET one, and then yeah. we saw, and we saw the Back to the Future one. Like we saw, I saw it at Costco. I'm like, holy fuck, we're buying this. There's a there's a Die Hard one, and I only know it because I got it for my dad for Christmas, holy and it's shit. like the night before Christmas, but it's Die Hard. Oh shit, I gotta find it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so Sailor Moon has reclaimed its uh, reign atop the list again. After I what took, was last? Uh, Paw Patrol and Space mm-hmm. Jam were kind of battling it out for the top spot. And now uh, it looks like Sailor Moon is back up there. So I'm going to have to get her to watch a movie to get that, uh, that movie out there. I, I still do have to watch the second part of the two-part series, two-part movie. I really wish not, she would. Not that you really need to. She'll probably spoil it for you if she hasn't already. <laughs> oh god, she's the she's the fucking worst. <laughs> she's the fucking worst. Oh man. All right. The so, complete opposite of her father. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's uh, that's Maya's movie moment. Hopefully, we can we will continue doing them going forward. She did say that we won't be doing it next week. That's because this was recorded two weeks ago. Mm. But we decided to, instead of having one and then a gap and then have her come back, I, I just pushed it uh, forward a week. So there should be a, a Maya's movie moment next week on the, next week's episode. Uh, Manny, I don't, I don't mean to alarm you, but having a child eat Brussels sprouts during a movie instead of candy or <laughs> chips or popcorn, I'm pretty sure that borders on child abuse. That is, that's, that... I feel like that's like a villain's backstory or something. That, that wasn't me. That wasn't yeah. me. I mean, I would be concerned. Brussels sprouts? That's just that's just a no-go. <laughs> oh, shit. You know what I just... I, fuck that. Maya's watching Halloween Town with me. That's what I'm Hell yeah. About. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. If I have to suffer, so does my daughter. <laughs> she won't uh, like yeah. it. She won't like it. No? I have no idea. <laughs> she probably will. Just to She'll fucking... She'll probably love it. She'll probably love it. I hope it. it's your favorite movie next oh, week. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You already said it on air. You can't take it back. That's right. (laughs) I should have time to watch it with her this weekend. Anyways, okay, let's get into this. We are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is Arrival. Released November 11th, 2016, directed by Denis Villeneuve, uh, written by Eric Hessier, based off the Ted, I think, Ted Shang. I'll I'll say it's Ted Shang. Um, Starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. Has a meta score of 81. That's far too low. Uh, it won one Oscar for Best Sound Editing and had seven other nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, 
Best Cinematography, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Production Design. It had a budget of $47 million. That is extremely low for considering what we saw. Uh, it grossed $100 million in North America and 203 worldwide. The plot? A linguist works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecraft appear around the world. Arrival. What is it? Is that five years old now? Five years old now. Why don't we start off with our guest of honor, Jordan. Give us your spoiler-free thoughts on Arrival. Now, I understand you have read the book. Did you read the book prior to seeing the movie or even prior to knowing the movie was being made? No. So I didn't actually know it was based on a book when I saw the movie when it first came out. Um, I actually didn't find out it was a book until um, I got to study it in one of my university classes. Um, the book was on the, like the whole collection of short stories was on the syllabus and I looked through it and I'm like, oh shit, that's Rival. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, I I read the book for school. Um, I'm glad I did. I think the book is, like it's a short story. It's like like maybe 60 pages. It's not very long. Um, but the book is, the book is really good and I think it's it's probably one of my favorite adaptations that currently exists from like a book to movie perspective. Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this movie's like, as we mentioned, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, top 10 for sure. I remember seeing it in theaters and I remember my first thoughts were, what the fuck did I just watch? And then I was like, I want to go watch it again. Um, and since seeing it, it's become like one of my comfort movies when it's, you know, a cozy rainy day it's been added to the list of movies that I just want to, I just want to pop on and relax and watch too, which I don't think everybody would feel that way towards this movie, but it's become definitely a calming one uh, for me. Um, I love a good sci-fi movie. I love speculative fiction. And I think this is one of the best that's out there. Uh, it's one of my favorite first contact movies. Um, it's just so different to what you usually see in a first contact type movie. Um, Amy Adams, one of my top five Hollywood loves. I want to marry her so badly. Back off. Um, <laughs> I will fight you for her. Don't worry. She's she's like my Charlize. Oh, okay. okay. I'm, Ooh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's high praise. That, that's, that's number one. <laughs> Charlize, I am Amy Adams is your number one? I am absolutely in love with her. I have never watched an Amy Adams movie and thought, meh. I have, I'm in love with her. She did a show called Sharp Objects for HBO. And she was so spectacular that I re-fell in love with her watching that show. I was like, oh, hot damn. How about American Hustle? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so, hold, I, I just want to clarify. You haven't seen an Amy Adams movie where you think she's eh in regards to her performance or the movie itself was at least a her, passing grade? Her per it's I, I've always enjoyed her performance. I maybe not okay. always loved the movie, but I've always loved her in like the movie or the show that she's okay. in. I was just I think checking she's because phenomenal. I definitely had some that I was going to throw out there. I was like, <laughs> no fucking way. This is actually a, a sore spot between me and my mother because she hates Amy Adams. And I don't understand how a, a person can hate Amy Adams. And we fight about this constantly. Um, so it's a bit of a sore spot. Um, but like, I think she's so good in this movie. Um, she just and she has so much to work with, and I think she does such a good job. Uh, Jeremy Renner's really good in this movie. 
Um, I've only recently kind of started to see more of his stuff outside the MCU, but I also always really enjoy him. Um, I know a lot of people might think he's a little underutilized in the movie, but I don't. I think he's great. Um, Forrest Whitaker is also in this movie. Um, That's all I got for him. Um, (laughs) But whenever I watch this movie, it reminds me of just how spectacular Denis Villeneuve is as a visual director. His movies are just beautiful, and this is absolutely no exception. It is such a tour de force visually. It's so much fun to watch. Um, There's just so many moments where I'm watching this movie, and I'm just in absolute awe of what's going on. I get chills every time I watch it. Um, This is just a movie that I think will only get better and better as I watch it, and I'll only enjoy it more and more as I watch this movie. Nice. Sam? Spoiler-free thoughts on Arrival. Yeah, I saw this movie for the first time uh, in theaters uh, with my family. I remember going out not really knowing anything about Denis Villeneuve. I had seen Prisoners at this point, and I don't think I had seen Sicario at this point. So I went in kind of um, just as I was beginning to really learn who this person is. And now, of course, five years later, you and I both worship the ground that man walks on he can do no wrong i've seen uh five of his movies soon to be six and uh and all five are at least really really good um this is a technically uh technically an insanely sound movie from top to bottom um it got 10 nominations and i was trying to figure out how it only got one win at the oscars and i realized it's because this was the year of la la land uh, La La Land just absolutely <laughs> swept like every technical Oscar, all the like the cinema. When I'm like, how does this movie not win Best Cinematography? La La Land. Uh, how does this not even get nominated for Best Original Score? La La Land. Uh, so um, I-, I can I can sort of uh, see why it lost a little bit more of those uh, categories. But the things that really stick out to me about this movie are uh, the sound design uh, and the animation and the score, really all the technical categories. But what really stuck out to me on this watch was the editing and the way that uh, the editing really ties together the entire last act of this movie. There's a lot in this movie about time, and uh, Denis Villeneuve really likes to play with um, play with time in a lot of his movies, inserting flashbacks, uh, doing really jarring cuts to different, uh, different parts of time that are really confusing and maybe not instantly explained in a way that challenges the audience and maybe is even a little bit confusing at first until he reveals what's going on. So the editing is just spectacular, and frankly, um, I don't know how it didn't win. Hold on, I'm going to scroll down. Was it, uh, was it La La Land again, that one for editing? Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge won that one, um, which I don't really remember how that movie was edited, but goddamn is... Uh, is the editing in this movie ever spectacular? Um, the writing is really good. The way that it's sort of about... Uh, it's an optimistic movie about hoping that humanity can be at its best in a time like this, even though all the evidence points to the contrary. And uh, given that we are currently in what I hope is the tail end <laughs> of a global catastrophe um, and how humanity has handled it... I tend to think this movie's a little optimistic about how he would handle the first arrival story. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I think it's just a technically insanely proficient movie helmed with a spectacular performance by Amy Adams. I am one of these people who thinks that Jeremy Renner is underutilized in this movie. Um, especially, um, when you consider thematically at the end, I'm going to try to say this in a way that doesn't spoil the movie. Thematically, the movie is very much about, 
accepting your fate and uh, choosing to have the good times, even when it means the bad times will come with them. And the weight of that choice is maybe hampered a little bit by uh, us not really seeing the connection of two characters as much. And us not in particular seeing Jeremy Renner's character on screen that much. That might sound a little vague or a little confusing. I'll try to elaborate on that a little bit when we get into the spoiler section. But overall, this movie is spectacular. When I saw this movie in 2016, I was overly excited and anticipating it. I had already become a Denis Villeneuve fan after having uh, watched Prisoners uh, three years earlier and Sicario the year before. The man, in my opinion, is one of the best filmmakers working today. He is in my top five. In fact, he's in my top four. I don't know. I don't know how I would rank them, but we're talking about Fincher, Tarantino, Spielberg, and Villeneuve. Uh, I think they're working at a completely another level right now than everybody else. Um, so I was excited to watch this movie, and I left just completely overwhelmed by everything I had seen. The movie is a visual feast. It is a mastercraft in storytelling. Amy Adams is absolutely amazing uh, in this film. I, at first, was fairly sure that she had gotten a nomination for this but she didn't sadly i've only seen one of the best actress nominees from this year so i can't actively say whether or not this was a robbery or not jeremy renner is an actor that i thoroughly enjoy when he is in a supporting role even though in his starring role in a film that sam and i both adore win river he is fantastic i really do prefer him in a supporting role a la the town or um other films such as uh other films like that where he is in support of a really great lead you'd uh, you'd consider him the lead in hurt locker though wouldn't you yeah he's great in that too yep mm-hmm. yep I'm, I'm not saying that he's not a leading man i just mm-hmm. when i think of jeremy renner i don't think of him as a leading man I think of him as a as a fantastic supporting actor, but the you know the two movies off the top of our heads that he's the lead in, he's absolutely spectacular in. You're also correct though. Jem Coughlin in the town is one of my favorite characters in movie history. Yeah, and the thing I love about Jeremy Renner in this movie is he's actually kind of playing against type. Most of the movies that Jeremy Renner plays in, he plays kind of a heavy, he plays kind of a tough guy, and here he's just a math nerd. And he does a really great job with it. I really enjoy him in this movie. I don't really, th- I don't think he's underutilized because I, this movie is all about Amy Adams and her story. And Jeremy mm-hmm. Renner's there to support it. I'm a big fan of Forrest Whitaker. He's someone that I enjoy uh, on screen as well. I think he's fine. He's not given much to do, so he does with what he is. But it's not about, it, it literally is the Amy Adams show and as well as Abbott and Costello. And if you don't know who that is, we'll get into that in spoilers. Mm -hmm. It's not not a spoiler thing anyways. And the movie is visually amazing. And you're right. Uh, When I was setting this up, I'm like, wow. I'm like, how did it not win all these awards? And then you see that this is the La La Year Land. And so so it's rough, rough. It's uh, running up into a powerhouse. So Arrival... 
I distinctly remember, and I can still see it in my mind, as I was driving home from the theater, all I wanted to do was to hold my daughter. And uh, at, at the time, uh, well, and still, my wife and I were separated, so I couldn't go home and just uh, hold my daughter. I had to wait until the weekend to, uh, mm. to see her. But I, 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 can distinctly, I distinctly remember the drive home. I just, if it hadn't been so late, I might have even just called Julia. I'm like, I'm coming over. I need to hold my, I need, <laughs> I don't care that she's sleeping. I'm going to go into her room and I'm just going to pick her up and she can sleep on me for a couple hours. But yeah, this movie is uh, amazing and yet again just solidifies uh, Denis Villeneuve's masterclass uh, directing style. And uh, I'm really looking forward to breaking down this movie with the two of you. With that being said, Jordan, it is up to you to take us in to spoilers. Alrighty. So if you haven't seen Arrival yet, we are about to spoil the shit out of it. In three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Manny, All right. let's start. Here we go. Bravo. Uh, <laughs> well done. When, when, Cheers. No tripping this time. Well done. Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, two for three. We're that, doing great. That that's better than a that's better than a baseball Hall of Fame career. That's exactly. That's the goat batting average right there. Uh, the opening. We have that amazing score, as well as watching this movie. It had actually been a while since I watched this movie. These opening scenes are harder to watch when you know what's coming. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about these opening scenes and one of the things that I was really taking a look for is are there any clues? Again, another heads up. Big fucking spoilers here. Okay. Are there any clues that these are flash forwards and not flashbacks? And there are none. And the little things they do to make you think that these are flashbacks are spectacular. So after, uh, just let me go through this and and then I'll let you guys chime in. But we see all these scenes with her and her daughter. Then we get to see uh, her daughter. Well, we get to see that her daughter has passed away. Then we see Amy Adams just acting melancholy or... hmm, subdued and rightfully so we think it's because she's dealing with the loss of her child it's not the case but they don't even say because they always whenever they show some type of montage or something like that and then they cut forward they'll always say like three years later but there's there's nothing like that but we're trained because of the way that movies work to think that that has happened and then the way she's acting at college makes you think that she is still kind of lost in her own mental state of dealing with the loss of her child. Hence, it's believable for us that she wouldn't notice all the hullabaloo over the arri- of the first contact, of the arrival of these aliens. She walks right past that crowd of people walking around the TV. She doesn't even really bat an eyelash that there's only appears to be like, what, eight people in her class when it probably should be full. <clears throat> and then when someone asks her to turn on the TV, she has no idea why anybody would want to have the TV on. It's these little things like that. Let's Sam and I say over and over again. It's these little things that make the movies even better. Thoughts? 
one of the little clues that I really like, um, that's another kind of throwaway, like you were saying, is uh, is what her conversation with her mom after the fact, uh, when she, when she's on the phone and uh, she gets out, she's like, "How are you?" And she just says, eh, "You know, the same." Like we are projecting our feelings onto Amy Adams of like how we would feel about this loss of a child, and. You know, that's a difficult thing to recover from. And like some people might never recover fully from that. I'd imagine most people probably wouldn't recover fully from that. So her just stating plainly uh, the same and she's like a little bit emotionless. She just seems kind of, I don't know, she seems dead. <laughs> she she doesn't she doesn't really have a, li- a lot of life in her. And that I'm saying that is a good thing for her performance. And then her insistence like, no, mom, really, I'm fine. Like, again, we're projecting our own experiences of what our interactions with our parents would be like. Those moments where your parents are saying, are you sure there's nothing else I can do? Are you sure you're fine? Are you sure I can't help out? And you just like, even though you're not fine, <laughs> you still say, <laughs> yes, I'm fine. Just so your parents won't worry. Like, I don't know, something about that scene, that small little moment, just a one sided phone conversation was like so relatable for me of uh of like how it would feel to lose a child there, even though I've never had a kid myself. Uh, just something about that interaction with the parents was so relatable, even though it turns out to not even be about the kid at all. Mm-hmm. No, it's just a really well constructed scene, and a lot of a lot of this. Um, this is why I'm so shocked that this movie didn't win the best editing, even though I'm sure Hacksaw Ridge had uh, a fantastic editor and was was edited fine. Um, like this movie was purely made in the cutting room. All of these emotions and that how this scene actually plays two different ways, both times that you see it, and the entire construction of the third act that we get to, all of that comes from the editing room. Like n- none of this has to do with the writing even so far. This is all in the editing room that everything we've talked about so far happens. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's such a cool like this movie does such a good job of setting up I don't even want to call it, like, a, the twist, but, like, you know, what, like, the gift is from the alien, like, where the movie ends up. The movie the does reveal. such a good... The reveal. It does such a good job of setting it up because this entire movie is all about non-linear time. It's all about existing everywhere and anywhere all at the same time. And, you know, as as humans, as we exist, we are so trained to just see forwards and backwards. There's no jumping in and out of things we're just where we are so this movie does such a good job of of trying to con- like of really reinforcing those notions of past and future like past present future and how it all just how it all comes together and gets revealed at the end it's just so cool and it is these little moments um that really that really help to kind of set it up because the book does it it kind of does it that way but like the first like the first line of the story is She's like talking to her daughter in like the present tense of like, your father is about to ask me the question. So she's like, like all of her, all the times you see the daughter, like her interact with her daughter in the book, it's all like written in present. It's like written like earn future. It's like, you know, you're about to do this and I'm about to react this way. Like it's all very like she's talking to the future, but she's also talking to her daughter like right now. Mm -hmm. And it's so odd when you're reading a book like that because you're like why the fuck is this happening like how how are you speaking this way so it's just such a cool like the whole story is just such a cool play on time i just love it 
I, Jordan, what is it with you and wanting to come on episodes with circular symbols <laughs> representing infinity, by I know. the way? I, I hope you guys are ready. I do have a little like sci-fi tangent I have to go on in a little bit. That's when fine. When I discuss a book versus movie difference that I wish they would have included, I have another little... It's it's not about the Ouroboros, but you know I do get to go on a little rant later. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find out um, if they're like... Um, temp- something grams uh oh man what are the what are their uh semi says me semi seismograph hang on yeah, I have seis- it uh semasiograph semi- uh oh, i have it written down somewhere something like that uh it's yes yeah, semi semi seismographic there you go yeah it's like well and it's so like i don't know if the i can't remember if it's the book or the movie that does a really good job of explaining it but it's like it's like seeing like a red octagon you know exactly what it means, but it has no phonological, like, equivalent. Like, you don't look at it and everything a part of it makes a sound. You just look at it and you know exactly what it is. There's no words on it. It's not attached to a sound. It's just a symbol that means something. Well, stop signs do so, usually say stop, but I but do like, know what you're saying. But, like, if you see, like, a red octagon or you see, like, like a red, like a red inverted triangle with white in the middle, you know that means yield. Mm-hmm. And some of them say yield, but not all of them. And you know that, like, you know what that's supposed to symbolize without there being, like, like there doesn't have to be a phonological attachment to the symbol. Right. It can just exist as it is. And you know what that's supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't have, like, words attached to it. And so the fact is, that there's, like, I mean, an entire language around that is so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this is, uh, I didn't put this in the non-spoiler section, but I, I do have an interest uh, I, I guess I would call it a fleeting interest in uh, linguistics. Yeah. Um, I got really involved in learning another language when I was in high school. I went to Germany a couple of times and just the the nature of not only building how to build a language, but also differences between languages, uh, features that some languages have that English doesn't like all that shit has always been really, really fascinating to me. So yet this idea that the uh, the heptapod language could be both written and spoken and have and have those two aspects be separate from each other like the way jeremy renner's character puts it is that they're two separate communication channels from each other is like it's difficult to wrap my head around but also like super cool <laughs> but it's uh so cool yeah and the like linguistic the book... aspects of it uh yeah. really interest me in this movie no absolutely and like the book goes into a bit more detail on like why there's so much more preference, like why there's so much more preference to like like the the like written language is because they're so like bottlenecked by their spoken language because it can't do what their like what their written language can do, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't you can't make a semi size size Oh my god, <laughs> you can't do that with words. <laughs> Sounds cannot convey that. Mm-hmm. You can only do that with symbols. So I like the the book goes a little bit more in depth on like why one was so much more important to learn than the other, but why one was easier to understand than the other. And like the movie doesn't go so much into like the the sound, like the ver- the oral language, but there's like a little bit at the beginning. And that's it. But yeah, I think there. I think the language is it's so cool. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> We're then introduced to uh, Forrest Whitaker's character, his introduction when he comes into Amy Adams' office. Uh, 
a scene I enjoy. Uh, I love his presence on film. I think Forrest Whitaker carries himself very well. And Amy Adams continues or begins to really show the type of performance she's going to be able to give us here as he plays the recorder of the voice and her eyes widen and she gets both very excited and nervous and afraid. And uh, I do love uh, the talk about the insurgents, how uh, he says that uh, she he didn't need to be there to uh, she didn't need to be there to translate the uh, uh, I think it's Farhi that she Farsi uh, Farsi, and she was like, well, I already spoke of that. I I can speak Farsi. Uh, it's uh, it's a really great um, I guess facial performance as Amy Adams listens to this speech for the first time yeah this this whole scene and their interaction together is uh is really really good i also like forrest whitaker but i can't help but thinking of his super hammy over-the-top performance in rogue one (laughs) whenever i see him that's just somehow what my brain associates with him i guess it's probably because i haven't really seen him even though i know he's a good actor and i know he's been in good movies and had good performances i haven't really seen a lot of the performances that he's good for so or that, that he's known for, rather. So my brain just goes to that weird, raspy voice that he did in uh, in Rogue One. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. I know yeah. you guys both, both like that movie a lot more I than do. I did. But... I love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie, but even I, like, his scenes are the weirdest. Yeah. <laughs> but, They're not uh, my favorite scenes in that movie. Yeah, but... this this whole scene right off the bat is, uh, is really good, and Amy Adams uh, sets up a, a nice... Uh, a set she she gives us a setup that she'll pay off later where she says to ask this other linguist what the um sanskrit uh, yeah what the sanskrit word for war is and and what its origin is or what its meaning is and that's just like a a funny little linguistic joke that i that i enjoy just some some nerdy bullshit (laughs) yeah that's one of my that's honestly one of my favorite like the the the, like the payoff after is like one of my favorites like quotes it's so funny yeah brilliant so uh, but i was uh, i would i was silent for a while there uh because i was trying to search up what the hell these symbols are called called logograms well they're like the they are logograms but like the it, the the type of it is that they are yes yeah, yeah. there is a like the word describing yes. i think the word you were using is describing the nature of them being separate from speech right yes Am yeah. I correct in that? But yeah, I, I was yeah. trying to think of the word for what the symbols are called. They're called yeah, logograms. logograms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to get I want to get Abbott and Costello like tattooed on me somewhere. I haven't figured out where yet, but that's like on my tattoo dot. Like the characters? No, like the oh, like the logograms for them. Yeah, I, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I yeah. wanted it for a while. I but I'm 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 actually getting closer to it now. Very nice. So yeah. Amy Adams uh decides to take up the offer to go interpret or do her best to interpret uh, this language. And she jumps on board a helicopter where we meet Ian for the first time, played by Jeremy Renner. His enthusiasm (laughs) for this endeavor is infectious. I love that he's excited. And I love that Amy Adams is very intrigued by it but I love that she's playing that she is incredibly nervous about this because that is real. 
And one of the things I love about this, and especially later on, is how real they play this movie. That they don't crack this language on the first try and all that kind of things. Um, I think Renner has great chemistry with Adams in regards to their performances off one another. They don't have, like, heat. And while we obviously are under the assumption that these two are going to hook up because it's a fucking movie. What I do like is that these two can play off one another really well, but they don't have any, I don't, and I don't mean this in a bad way. They don't have romantic chemistry, but mm. what they do have is great on screen chemistry. They can play off one another really well. Their scenes together are acted really well and they, and they definitely are portraying, especially as the movie moves along that they get along and they respect each other as experts in their field and it's played really well uh they have great rapport with one another is basically the best way i can say it um that's that's probably where the idea that jamie renner is underutilized comes from it's probably i think you did hit the nail on the head it's their lack of romantic chemistry and that's not necessarily like inherently a bad thing it's just so not the norm for a movie where the emotional climax results in our male lead and our female lead getting together and they don't have romantic chemistry that is so not the norm for western cinema <laughs> that it just feels i don't know it, it feels jarring almost at the end which is why i think a lot of people attribute that to uh, jeremy renner is just underutilized maybe he is maybe he isn't i mean i don't really I don't know what else you can do with Jeremy Renner in this movie. Like you guys said, it's Louise's story. I just, I don't know, something about their, uh, the lack of focus on the romance is both refreshing in a way and surprising in not as good a way, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting. I think, um, I think Denis Villeneuve took an interesting take because in the book, they first of all, there's one thing that really bothers me about the book to movie, and that in the book, his name's Gary, and they changed it for literally no reason, and it drives me insane <laughs> every time I watch this movie. I'm like, why the fuck did they do that? Mm-hmm. But they do, they do actually have a bit more. There's like a lot more lead up to the, like their romantic connection in the book. Like there's, they're they're allowed to like leave the site, so they like go on a date to a restaurant and they go back to Gary's apartment. So you can like kind of see them like building their relationship like outside of the heptapods, which was, I found it really interesting in the book. Can but I just I d- can I interject for one second yeah. though? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you liked it in the book. Them leaving the site makes no sense. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's set so, up a little differently in the book. Like okay. it's, it's kind of weird. The ships like don't fully come into the atmosphere like they're just like chilling up high and they send like like looking glasses down so like you can't like you're not like even remotely in contact with the actual aliens you can just see them so i think for that reason like it was a little less protected because you couldn't actually access the ship or see the see the creatures like it was it was a bit more distance okay i get that i prefer the movie so, i prefer the movie oh absolutely yeah that and like that would not play cinematically yeah. well and like i'll go into this a little later as well but this is one of my favorite film to movie adaptations because i think the book is so good at being a book 
and the movie is so good at being a movie. Like the changes that were made from the book to the movie make absolute sense for what the movie was trying to be and what the book is trying to be. And they're like, it's still relatively faithful. And even Ted Chang, he loves the adaptation. He loves the movie. He loves the changes that were made because it makes sense for the mediums they're in that they're as that they made the changes that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, film and, uh, and print both have their own strengths and weaknesses. It is amazing to look at this movie and the editing choices that were made and the cinematography of it and try to remember like, wow, this was a book first. Like this yeah. was all <laughs> the fact that it was in an author's head. And then Denis Villeneuve took that and said, hey, this would look great on the big screen and managed to translate it somehow in a way that not only looked good, but was, I mean, according to the Academy, one of the best looking movies all year. So that is an achievement in and of itself. Like it's one of the reasons that we don't see so many book to movie adaptations is especially of this type. um, This sort of movie that plays with time so freely is really difficult to communicate in a way that's not confusing to the audience. And uh, yeah, I I can see how it's one of your favorites. I have not read the story, but I have to imagine there's a lot of that playing with time. You mentioned that even even the tenses that are used are different. I think you'd really like the story, actually. It's not very long. It's literally like 60 pages. Um, What I actually Uh, find most interesting... Does it have uh, pictures and pop-ups? Actually, it does have a picture. Oh, shit. It has, one pa- it has one page of pictures. Oh, I guess um, <laughs> I <laughs> what I actually find most interesting, though, is that the book was published in 1998. Mm-hmm. So it was published before, like, we even got to see what, like, technology could ever possibly do for something like this. Mm-hmm. It was published, you know, 20 years before it was ever made into a movie. So I also think that part's really cool is that he got to see... Like he got to see this creation come to life in a way that he couldn't even imagine it could when he wrote the book. Yeah, like the scenes of Louise using the tablets and like instantaneously yeah. translating uh, some of the logograms. Uh, all of that would not have been probably I- even in his mind when he wrote yeah. the when he wrote the book. Yeah, it's it's super. It was. I think that part was also super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The quick scene of them arriving in Montana. Uh, oh. is, is beautiful again it's stunning villeneuve just fucks him flexing for us he's like hey you want to see what an amazing filmmaker i am watch <laughs> this shit uh fantastic shot uh of the crowd gathering uh i guess at the perimeter of the area then we get to see as it comes closer once again facial acting on uh amy adams as she sees the ufo for the first time brilliantly done then we get to actually see the ufo towering above the clouds and above the entire area and then that beautiful sweeping shot as the helicopter circles the encampment and then comes down and lands brilliant brilliant oh it's such a gorgeous scene and it actually kind of one thing i wanted to mention about the movie a little earlier is there were so many opportunities where a normal filmmaker would have shown us like the ships or like earlier right like there's that whole scene where they're finding out about it in her classroom and you can hear it happening on the tv but all you see is amy adams and her students in behind reacting to it where i find like a normal director probably would have just like panned around so that you could also see what they were seeing as well but all you see is their reactions so it's 30 minutes into the movie you know all this exists but you still haven't seen anything yet and then you just get this beautiful pan view of 
this amazing scenery and the ship, and it's just so, so lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm astounded this movie was made for $47 million. Right? The uh, the only note I have in this part is uh, exactly what you guys were saying. Um, that I, I just wrote, the shell with fog rolling in over the hills <laughs> is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I feel like the movie earned its cinematography nom right then and there. Um, but yeah, that, that shot alone uh, absolutely blew me away. And yeah, like you said, the fact that they were able to do that on not a super high budget uh, is is awesome. Uh, there's, uh, unless there's something else you want to say on that, Manny, I, I do have a note on the following scene. Uh, they're, uh, they're being asked medical questions and there's this great editing moment. Again, the editing in this movie might be my favorite thing about it. Um, there's, they're just getting all your standard questions. Uh, I mean, medical questions that we are all too familiar with in the age of COVID now. <laughs> uh, and w- when she's asked if, if she's pregnant, uh, we cut to a close up. Uh, and and she just says no. And again, she Amy Adams somehow manages to answer with this blank but melancholic expression, <laughs> um, a, a sort of sort of expression where you can project your own emotions onto it. Again, at this point, a first time watcher will still assume she is fresh off the loss of her child. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this question, uh, "Are you pregnant?" Uh, is is like would cut deep. It would just be a night. Uh, twisting the knife a little bit and the, the cut the uh the the editing or the editing decision to cut to a close-up there uh, emphasizes that but like she doesn't even know that she's going to be having a kid at this point still so another another great editing decision that i will continue to love through this movie i love how nervous she is and i love how pumped up ian is to go in there <laughs> it's such a great dichotomy uh, of uh of the characters they get to the ufo and the messed up gravity is spectacular mm-hmm. i love it's an easy camera trick it's an easy thing to do but it looks cool and what i love is ian trying to do it on his own and failing <laughs> tripping <laughs> falling on his face and then turning around and it's in my opinion the most real moment of the movie he is standing literally sideways and he looks back down and just goes holy (laughs) fuck (laughs) it is exactly the same thing i would say in that situation and it is one of my favorite tiny moments in this movie is he is acting completely real mm-hmm. this uh this scene of them entering the shell is very drawn out this is something i really like about denis villeneuve's directorial style is he really lets these moments simmer and he lets them breathe and this is a huge moment for our characters and a huge moment for humanity it's the first encounter and every single member in that audience is just thinking what do these aliens look like yep. what do they look like and he lets this moment just play out, lets the drama intensify, lets our characters discover uh, certain things about it. He uh, he lets he lets them discover the gravity, and he lets the consequences of that play out naturally. He is Denis Villeneuve is in no rush to get to Abbott and Costello. He lets this moment play out naturally, and I think it's beautiful. Hmm. No, like he draws absolutely. out suspension and tension. Where have we seen that before? <laughs> Are you referring to Sicario? Yeah. <laughs> border crossing yeah, yeah. 
absolutely. Well, and it even continues once they get into like like the main the main little I don't know viewing area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know they come in and you know you're expecting okay they're going to be right there and then it's just this white like foggy screen mm-hmm. and you're all just kind of sitting there staring at it. You're like, the fuck's going on? And then it's just so slowly they just like saunter in and you slowly slowly start to see the legs and then the body and then you're like holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Amy Adams' facial yeah. performance as she sees the heptapods for the first time and is just completely blown away at what she's seeing. All of them are, with the exception of the soldiers who have now seen this three or four times, mm-hmm. roughly. Um, another small moment that I love is it plays out just afterwards with the whole thing. And what we learn about what happened in this one. I fucking love that they freeze up in the first meeting. Louise is completely overwhelmed with what is going on. Nothing like she expected. Ian is completely flabbergasted at what's in front of him. And obviously the soldiers are just there to record and to protect in the case that it's needed. So they don't really have anything going on. But Louise and Ian are just, they completely fail in their first meeting because they are just completely overwhelmed and that makes them human. And that I love. Yeah. The thing that Denis Villeneuve achieves in a lot of his movies, but in particular, this one is a sense of awe and that, and that is largely due of course, to the actors and their performances, but the, the, like all good movies, this is a movie about humans, actually. It's not really about aliens. It's about the humans reacting to this situation and the decision to keep the camera on our main characters' faces and capturing uh, just how awestruck they are is another in a long line of wise decisions by the director. So then they reset. And this is, I think, where Jordan wants to talk about it, where Amy tells them that it's they need to it's a written language this is where she brings the i think she brings the whiteboard for the first time and starts using written language to try and communicate um and then that's when they write back with uh whatever they call those (laughs) symbols that they use on the glass yeah yeah it is uh a brilliant scene and perfectly encapsulated on the way that this will be the best way with the story of the kangaroo yeah and i love i love that little story i think it's so funny um and it is like based off of like a real myth that has been debunked Mm -hmm. but it is brilliant but the whole scene where you see how they and like just like how they communicate the little little ink that comes out of their hand like that was just so Cool. I was absolutely. I got chills when I saw it in theaters for the first time. I'm like, that is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Well, this is just so imaginative. Like, yeah. Even, even having seen this movie several times now, I think this is probably watched three or four for me. Uh, it's just mind-boggling to me that this is the language that people came up with. Like the writers of this movie, and I don't know to what extent the author contributed to uh, to the language that we see and hear on screen. But the fact that this is not an alien language and that this came out of the minds of humans is really difficult to grasp 
because again, like the movie makes the point of saying numerous times, the language that we speak can very much shape uh, the way that we think. So, like, if you look at other alien, uh, other alien languages and other movies, a lot of them share features to English. A lot of them are written in letters, not characters. A lot of them are written left to right. Uh, a lot of them use uh, nouns, uh, uh, noun verb, uh, like the same sort of building blocks that our languages use, and the same sort of syntax. But this is just completely unrecognizable to any human language really and it seems so authentically alien that's why one of the reasons i love it so much this is like well, i would genuinely believe this is what an alien language looks and sounds like it's funny you mentioned the book because i'll be totally honest when i come to this part in the book where they're explaining what the written language looks like mm. i can't picture it in my head because it's still it's still semi-seismographic it's still logo like it's still some form of like logograms but it's it's not what you see in the movie. So because I saw the movie first, when I when they're talking about it, I'm like, I can only see mm-hmm. how it looks in the movie. It's it's a bit more, I think it's a bit more complicated the way he explains it in the book. But mm-hmm. it's still very much so that, like, you know, circular, kind of odd-looking, nonsensical, there's no beginning and end to what you're looking at. Well, we we were talking about the strengths of the different media we consume things, and this is one of the strengths of film, right here, is you have the ability to just show what it looks like. Well, like, exactly. Having yeah. to describe this in a way <laughs> that is coherent and actually puts an image of it in the reader's head would be so difficult in print. I can't imagine yeah. having that task. Whereas on film, you just animate it. There it is. This is what it yeah. looks like. Yeah. No. Um, absolutely. And it's like you know. Even I think I can't remember exactly when they bring it up. I think it's a little later in the movie, but they talk about like the Sapir Wharf hypothesis, mm-hmm. which is just that same idea that you were talking about earlier that the languages that you know shapes how you like think about the world and it's mm-hmm. how you describe things. Because like even like English compared to other languages, other languages their their tenses are different, where they place their subjects are different, and that's how they think in in their language it's completely different so how like whatever language you have totally shapes how you think which is just such a cool little thing to plop in to a movie where literally the language you speak changes everything you know about time itself yeah it's just like they take that one little idea and make it the basis for an entire yeah. sci-fi movie it's super cool there's actually also I, I won't get into it yet i'll get into it at the end but there's like a whole other Uh, physics concept that the book goes into that kind of also helps understand what's going on that I kind of wish they put in the movie but they didn't Mm. Um, but it's kind of just like another it's another theory that kind of helps with your understanding of what exactly this language is doing and how it can exist All right, we get a nice scene of Luis trying to let the military know that this is not an easy process and the scene is the breakdown of the question what is your purpose on earth brilliantly explained by amy adams because it also lets the audience know because the audience is probably thinking the same things as forrest whitaker's character because Mm -hmm. 
we are incredibly egotistical about ourselves, especially in my opinion, if from what it seems, English speaking people mm-hmm. are very egotistical about our language and our ability to communicate. We always, and we think that yelling our language louder will make somebody else <laughs> understand it easier. So this is a great, uh, a great breakdown of how communication is actually built and how this type of stuff needs to be broken down. I, I really love that scene of her breakdown of that question. We move forward to uh, another visit with them, and it's when Amy Adams finally takes off the suit. And it's a really great scene. Anytime somebody takes off a suit now, though, I immediately go to when Buzz Lightyear's helmet gets popped open. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a, it's a great scene, and it moves things forward, and this is where they end up naming the heptapods Abbott and Costello. Uh, Which I'm is, not... I have to say, so much better than their names in the book. Oh, what, <laughs> what are the names in the, the book? Their names in the book is like Flopper and Raspberry. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And it's so silly, and I kind of love, and I don't know if this is true, but when I think about why he named, why he re, I mean, obviously he renames them because the names are terrible in the book. It's my one main criticism like why the fuck are that is that their names but because of that abbott and costello bit like the who's on first what's on second i don't know is on third mm. is such a confusing conversation to have yes. and it's like you get so lost in what like you're so lost in that conversation you have no idea what's going on no one knows what's happening and then it just ends and i feel like that i feel like that's why he chose abbott and costello because that fits so well with the theme of this movie third and base best <laughs> <laughs> And it just works so well. So, yeah, their names are fucking like Flopper and Raspberry, and it's so stupid. <laughs> is there a logical explanation as to why nope. it's Flopper and nope. Raspberry? Gary names them that, and then Louise is like, sure. And Gary's that's... like, I'm going to have a kid with this man. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. As they are moving forward, starting to learn a bit a little more of the language, Louise starts to have more flash backs forwards whatever you want to call it because again it still hasn't been revealed that these are flash forwards but they start to begin and as she continues to learn the language the ability starts to manifest more and more and again here we're not quite there but we're moving closer towards clues that this is not flashbacks and it was one of my favorite parts on this rewatch watching it with more of a critical eye because this is easily about the ninth or tenth time I've watched this movie. Mm-hmm. And but watching it critically, I was trying to see if there were clues that this that these were flash forwards and there's none. Literally none. And it's a beautiful part of again the editing choice and the thematic choice of this film to do so. We move into a nice way which I'm sure was discussed during the, the making of the movie. But we have a, a different type of montage scene because we have Ian doing voiceover. And mm-hmm. it's obviously him recording some research or notes that he's done for himself. But it's a nice way for, for the movie to progress time. And he is delightful in his voiceover. Yeah. Role. 
That's true. There's there's a tiny little moment in the voiceover that I think is so awesome and so cute. It's when uh, they're holding up a sign that says Ian walks and he's walking along. And then you can see uh, one of the aliens <laughs> walking along with him behind the glass. It's so funny for some reason. <laughs> he's like walking along with them. Like the aliens have their own personalities. I thought it was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of cute to think that like even aliens can understand like mimicking and all that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. After the voiceover, um, I think this is where Adams and Renner have the discussion you were referring to, Jordan. They have a good chat, and Luis really starts to articulate her concern about what they're doing there. This is also intercut with the scene of the two soldiers starting to get nervous about this whole endeavor. It's funny, even uh, well, as early as five years ago, there's an alien, uh, or sorry, not an alien, there's a soldier listening to right-wing radio <laughs> and becomes a little bit, um, I guess, polarized or, uh, oh, there's a word for that. Um, I don't know. He he, uh, he began... You mean radicalized? Yeah. yeah. Sort of he becomes a little bit radicalized. Jeez, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. <laughs> I'm really tired tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, he becomes radicalized listening to right-wing radio and uh, even gets a call from his wife. I do like that they insert a clip of this random soldier who we've never met before talking to his wife who is distraught over the fact that their daughter has asked if the aliens are going to kill daddy. And he's like, you're not going to have to worry about that. You're not going to have to worry about that. So even though he's just a small throwaway character, we see a glimpse into his life and what his motivations might be like. And then when he listens to the clip of uh, of the guy saying that the aliens are probably going to attack us and our government's going to do nothing, he decides to take action into his own hands. Stupid decision, but you get why he makes it. <laughs> mm-hmm. True. Well, and that's I think that's the other thing I really love about the movie compared to the book, because the book doesn't have any of this like military military involvement, you know, worldly conflicts, all of this like news coverage of what's going on everywhere else while all this is happening in the camp because it doesn't fit with the book. But it fits very well with the movie. It's, in, and, it's intrinsic to the movie. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's such a it was it's a really good addition to the film as its medium. Um, but I just wanted to say I just have like a fun little note here, and I'm like, and the Americans won a war, even though the heptapods haven't actually done anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, just well, also remember that the Americans aren't the only ones that want to have. War. No, it's yeah, the China, the I think China was like the main. China and Russia were were the other big ones in that fight too, oh, the, right? The three. Ah, uh, yes, the three. China the for fictional sure. movie where America, yeah. China, and Russia <laughs> yeah. are just one yeah, they... one mean tweet away from going to war with each other. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, it's here, as she has really started to learn, we get a big flash forward. Uh, again, no clues that this is a flash forward, uh, but it's uh, a pretty big one. And also, he's been hinted at before, uh, it's shortly after this part, uh, General Chang. And she's asked to interpret something that he's saying and so we it while we're totally understanding that Luis as a linguistics expert would probably speak mandarin it's a nice setup that is incredibly important later on and it's really not even you know we don't even question the fact that she could probably speak mandarin 
She's already told us that she speaks or understands Sanskrit, which is a 5,000-year-old dead, la dead language. But her being able to translate, translate Mandarin uh, sets up, well, the climax of the movie. Yeah, I like this conversation where she is translating, by the way. It is a nice setup, but even the scene in and of itself where she... I, uh, is it here or is it after the fact a little bit where she explains why teaching aliens a language with mahjong tiles is a bad idea? Mm. I, I think it's I, I think it's quite where it is. I think it's right here because yeah. that, that's what she says. Uh, she says something like uh, sets. I don't understand what that word is. Yeah, it's, it's here. Yeah. And then yeah. she dis she discovers she's like, shit, they're, yeah. they're teaching the aliens the language with mahjong tiles. And she explains that is a really bad idea because in games there is conflict built in. So of course, if you teach aliens a language where conflict is a is an essential part of understanding it, then obviously something that they say is gonna contain some conflict. Like obviously it is, <laughs> and somehow nobody else understands that except for her. Well, because she's American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, I keep forgetting that part. Yeah. Uh this is uh, this is also where there's the miscommunication between weapon and tool. Yeah. And this is where all the 11 of all the 11 other uh sites cut off communication with one another. Mm -hmm. We hear uh Russian has a sa a Russia, not Russian. Russia has assassinated one of their translators. Or, or mm -hmm. appears to have assassinated one of their translators. We never do really find out. No, we don't. It, uh, Putin's a good guy. I'm sure it was an accident. <laughs> you know, probably said something bad about Putin. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this is when everything gets cut off and tensions start to rise, which leads to the uh, two soldiers uh, moving forward with their attack on Abbott and Costello. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. Me too. Yeah. I love it. It's so smart. I just love, like, their frantic, like, between Louise and, and Ian and their frantic, like, we need to go and we need to talk to them now. Yeah, because... Like, no care at all about what's going on. They go up and you know there's something, like, and there's something sketchy going on. Like, what are these soldiers doing? What the fuck? What the fuck's going on? And, of course, they result to a fucking bomb. <laughs> fucking Americans. Uh, someone that we haven't talked about yet who's just got a supporting role in the movie who I want to give a shout out to oh, is nice. Michael Stuhlbarg mm -hmm. this uh, within like a couple year span Michael Stuhlbarg was in a few movies uh, that Manny and I both really liked he was in this he was in Shape of Water um, this is some years prior but he had a leading role in a Coen Brothers movie called The Serious Man that I really liked uh, he's an actor that whenever he pops up Again, like we were saying about Jeremy Renner, I know him more as a uh, as a uh, behind the scenes character or like a supporting character. Um, but I really like him and just about everything I see him in. Sam, you're gonna throw Michael Stuhlberg and you're not gonna mention "Call Me by Your Name." Ah, shit! Yeah, I knew I was missing. I knew <laughs> I, was like, I was missing one because I'm, I'm like, okay, the year Shape of Water came out. I knew he was in at least one other movie. I think he, even at least two. I should have pulled up his filmography before. That's my bad. Oh, "Call Me by Your Name" is his best performance. He was also in the post that year. That's it, yeah. And Doctor but Strange. That movie's a little bit more forgettable, even he, though he was good. In he's it. in Doctor yeah. Strange too. 
He was what? He's in Doctor Strange. Is he? Yeah, he's the he's the surgeon that Doctor Sh- that Stephen Strange makes fun of. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what? I just fucking watched that movie like a month <laughs> ago. God, where is my brain at right now? At, at practice. Yeah. Yes, it is, sir. <laughs> you know exactly where it is. Uh, I love. Uh, Abbott tapping on the glass, trying to warn Luis and Ian about the bomb. Right. Uh, it's adorable. The best part about it as well is because of their ability to see time, Abbott knew this. And yeah, they know exactly what's about to happen, and they're doing everything they can to be like, you need to, need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Stupid humans don't understand the aliens tapping on the glass. <laughs> yeah. So Abbott does save them at the cost of his own life, or her <laughs> own life, its own life. There. Their own oh, life? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, they did name it Abbott, so I, I'm I'm giving yeah, it a male. I am giving fair. it a male pronoun, since they used a, a male name. Mm. So Abbott, if really you love... if you are if you are not gender specific, I apologize. Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I really love that scene as well. Like when, when Abbott kind of like, lets like, like Louise goes up to the glass and lets her like, write with. With like his ink, yes, mm-hmm. like that was that was so cool that she was able to like manipulate it and create create her own logogram for him to create her own you know concept. She even says at first she's like, uh, "I can't do it with both yeah. hands," and like, like puts his hand up on the glass yeah. and writes with her. It's awesome. Oh, so cool. Yeah, it's great. So Abbott saves them. Uh, then China declares war yeah. on the aliens. I wonder how this film was received in China. I wonder if they even got to see it. <laughs> hey. <laughs> true. true. Yeah, true enough. Uh, but we get the flash forward where we learn that Hannah, her father, is into science. Finally, a clue that these are not flashbacks. Now it's not, we're still not sure, but this is the first clue about the father. Yeah. Uh, on first watch, I didn't pick up on that at all. Oh, neither you did know. I. I didn't pick up on any of the clues. It's in the next. To ne- the extent that there are any. It's in the next scene, I think. And this is the non-zero sum gain scene. Mm-hmm. Where I think I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, where she remembers something in what we think is a flashback. She remembers something from the conversation in the present. You're like, how the, f- like, what yeah. the fuck is happening? I, I just assumed again, I assumed here that it was like an editing thing because mm-hmm. we're having so much fun with the editing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like uh, she like parallels being drawn. All right. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that this might actually be a flash forward at this point. This yeah. Is- I remember that tripping me out a lot when I first saw that, I was like, wait, what? What yeah, did you just do? <laughs> I think for me, this is when I started to clue in yeah. that it, these might not be flashbacks. But I, I was like, I don't understand how that would be possible. Mm-hmm. And Luis, the the camp is being torn down. They're going to start withdrawing. And Luis wants to go back and figure things out because she has started to realize there's been clues that these 
flash forwards, uh, we think they're flashbacks, but we're starting to see that these are really tripping her up and she's very confused as to what they are. So she goes to meet Costello mm -hmm. and I, this, this will be one of this, <laughs> this movie's so good. This is the weak point of the movie for me. It's just <laughs> the way her CGI hair doesn't fly. Yeah, no, totally. But <laughs> It didn't. It didn't bother me that much. It's the only thing I noticed. What I do love is that the subtitles show that they still have not mastered communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. It's very broken English. With Abbott is death process. Yes. Yeah. Oh. oh. It is absolutely uh, a fantastic scene, and uh, Costello and Luis trying to figure out the best way forward. Yeah, and this is finally the scene after uh, all this, all these editing flourishes, after all these flashbacks that uh, Louise delivers this line, which when I was in theaters, blew me the fuck away and for a second confused the shit out of me. And she's like, I don't understand. Who is this child? I was like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean who is this child? And it blew my freaking mind because like I said, I did not pick up on anything like I, there was no occurrence in my mind that these were flash forwards up yeah. until this point. And there should, and there shouldn't be. And that's the brilliant yeah. of this filmmaking and the editing. Like as you've been saying, Sam, go ahead, Jordan. Oh, I didn't really have. Okay. Didn't have too much to add there. Uh, I love that Costello is trying to explain to Luis that she has the weapon, mm -hmm. that she, uh, and while they are saying it's a weapon, we know that there's a hard distinction between weapon and tool so it's not really a weapon it's a tool but because of their they haven't mastered communicating with one another it is called a weapon and uh it's these little touches again that just truly uh make the movie even better than what it really is so upon her knowledge uh or asking who this child is but now her knowledge that she has this tool to manipulate and somewhat kind of almost travel through time we see her talking to hannah uh explaining that she told she's now told ian about their daughter's future and fucking tears makes me cry every time mm -hmm. talking to her future daughter who she's barely even really met yet because she's actually living in the present telling her that her dad doesn't look at her the same way because oh. she knows that she's going to get terminal cancer. A sentence that sounds batshit crazy, but given Denis Villeneuve's masterful direction makes perfect sense and hits just the right emotional beats. Yeah. I fucking hate this scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were, you, uh, were you reaching for the Kleenex at this point? No, I wasn't I wasn't like uh like hard crying just like a couple tears uh a single manly tear yeah. <laughs> nothing manly about it <laughs> nothing manly hey about men it. can cry it's yeah. a fatherly response yeah sense. it is right when you become a parent the stupidest things will make you cry it's ridiculous and i cried Stupidest things already make me cry like don't... there <laughs> don't get me wrong i cried at movies well before i had a daughter but now it's even worse uh, she introduces that uh, Hannah has a palindrome name, 
because yep. the I, I'm sorry, what are the a, a logogram? Is that what the yep. writing is called? So a logogram is basically similar to a palindrome. There's no begin or a palindrome works forward and backwards, where the logogram is circular. So it's the same kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just another play on how on how we see time mm-hmm. in our linear and non-linear ways. Uh, as she realizes that she has this gift, now she's starting to use it. And I love that for her to finish her training on how to be able to speak Heptapod, she goes into the future to read the book that she writes on how to read <laughs> Heptapod so she knows how to read Heptapod. That's fucking cheating. <laughs> Can't do that. This is have you <laughs> have you guys seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Uh, no. Uh, no. No. There is a. It deals with time travel, and there's this great, stupid comedic moment near the end where they're about to get like locked in jail or they're about to get arrested, and so they start talking about. They're like, okay, when this is over, let's go back in time and we'll put the keys to the jail cell right here so we can get out of jail and they reach behind this plat and there's the jail cell key so they can get out of jail and like okay don't forget to do that but it already happened dude right (laughs) so ridiculous Uh... so uh, this is a little bit more artsy and uh well crafted than that scene uh but the same kind of thing you kind of cheated yeah, moderately better performance than Keanu Reeves. <laughs> uh, well, Ke- it's funny because when you think about it, the aliens are cheating this entire time. Yes. Right. The heptapods have seen literally all of this. They're like, we need everything to do. We like, they're just they're. It's like they're acting, right? They just they need to go through the motions of something that they already know they have to do. They're just like performing what they already know is going to come. Well, so, and that's. I mean, that's the lesson that Louise learns here, and that's yeah. really the emotional core of this movie. Yes. Is that. The aliens, while they teach, while they teach Louise a lesson, and while they give her this weapon, this tool, what they really teach her in the end through their actions is that they know everything that's going to happen, and they know that Abbott is going to die, and they know, they yeah. they know that this is a dangerous mission, and that they're going to die when they come to Earth, but they do it anyway. Oh, they yeah. have an they have an acceptance of their fate, even though they know that it's going to end poorly. They do it anyway, and they accept their fate, and they know, even though they know what's going to happen. And that is yeah. the more important thing that Louise learns from them. Which is the same decision she makes as well. Exactly. Well, I'm going to, okay, so this gets a little fun. It gets very interesting with the book. So <laughs> her daughter doesn't get cancer in the book. Her daughter dies at the age of 25 by going rock climbing. So it's that much more of a preventable death. Right. It takes one conversation for her to not go rock climbing that day. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it's a little bit it's a little bit darker than something that's like terminal. That's going to happen to this kid no matter what. Whereas your adult daughter is going to die falling off a cliff mm. that, you know, is going to happen and you could prevent. But then you 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 don't because you have to go through it. Yeah, this is the Looper Diner conversation where, like, we could stay here all day drawing diagrams (laughs) with straws. I do think, as far as the time travel in this movie is concerned, it's a little bit different, at least as far as my understanding is concerned. It's a little bit different than other time travel movies in the sense that the implication I'm getting from Louise and from Abbott and Costello is that 
there's not sort of multiple timelines or multiple possibilities that could happen. My understanding is that there is one timeline, beginning, middle, end, that will happen, and Louise can just kind of see it all now. That's my it, like. That's it really same, doesn't. That's the same interpretation I have. It yeah. really does a number on like it really does a number on your understanding of free will and does anyone have free will or and do, do they make decisions at all in this timeline? I don't know. <laughs> Can I read you guys a little passage? <laughs> you may. Freedom isn't an illusion. It's perfectly real in the context of sequential consciousness. Within the context of simultaneous consciousness, freedom is not meaningful, but neither is coercion. It's simply a different context, no more or less valid than the other. Similarly, knowledge of the future that knowledge of the future was incompatible with free will what made it possible for me to exercise freedom of choice also made it possible for me to know the future conversely now that i know the future i would never act contrary to the future including telling others what i know those who know of the future don't talk about it those who've read the book of ages will never admit to it hmm. <laughs> that's a passage from the short story yes yeah, yeah. and what's yeah, your takeaway from that why is why is that notable book. to you i think because it's you know i find so many movies that are about time that are about like time travel and stuff are always like well if i know the future like i have free will so i'm gonna change everything and it's kind of this notion that you know you you are you do have free will you also have the free will to keep things the way that they are and to not put in ripples throughout everything else it's it's this kind of almost like I'm trying to think of the word I want. It's like a responsibility that you know the future and you have this like responsibility to keep it as it is and to go through the motions as everybody else would, knowing that they don't know the same things you know. Mm -hmm. I, this that feels like an ethical dilemma waiting to be Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because this actually comes to one of my main hangups with the movie is that I, the movie makes a pretty clear case that Louise is doing the right thing by sticking to the status quo, having this kid, getting this relationship with Ian, even though she knows it results in heartbreak and pain because it is her fate and because there is still love and much to enjoy and much to relish along the way. That's the case the movie is making. I don't think I agree with that. I really don't think it's a noble thing that she's doing to have this kid who she knows is going to know almost nothing but misery and is going to go through chemo as a child, which is just one of the most horrible things I could wish upon a person, and die young. Like, that is just, I, I'm not going to go ahead and say it is the wrong decision, but it's not crystal clear to me that it's the right decision by any stretch. No, it's definitely, like, one of, like, the ultimate morally gray grounds that you're yeah. going to sit on here is, like, but then it's also... If I don't do this, am I potentially causing something worse? Am I potentially, am I going to cause myself more harm? Am I going to do something else to somebody else? So it's always this like, you know, there's that what if game of, you know, this is, I know that this is going to happen and I know that exactly how it's going to happen and I can kind of have my brain ready for how it's going to happen. And it's and still like, you're never prepared for your kid to die. If your kid dies, like, it doesn't matter if you're ready for it or not. You're not ready. It's mm -hmm. going to kill you. And you know, like no matter what, but it's this also kind of motion of like, well, if I don't do this, something like, and it's also like, if she doesn't do that, does she then get to see what this alternate future is? I don't does know. Does it then like reset for her? I, and she has I to go through 
Yeah. yeah. And in that case, she doesn't even know that she's made a decision because she already yeah. sees the timeline. Right. Yeah, that's, that's tough. <laughs> I know how much Manny loves playing the what if game. <laughs> it's been fun. I love playing <laughs> the what if game. <laughs> I'm not playing the what if game in regards to this because I yeah. see this in a completely different way. Okay. okay. This is the way I see it. And for, this is my point of view as someone who is a father. This is going to probably get pretty deep and pretty personal. I love and this. I'm going to say something, and my saying it, in, if, if it comes across as like condescending or any way, I apologize. It's not my intention. Mm. I completely understand both of your point of views coming from people that don't have children. I can tell you for a fact right now that if I knew that my daughter was going to die, I would still have my daughter mm -hmm. without a shadow of a doubt. The amount of joy and love and amazing moments I have with Maya will be worth any amount of pain. And I know that if my daughter were to die, the pain would be absolutely the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. But I would not trade, I would easily trade that for a million times for what I've already had with my daughter. And she's only seven years old. So Luis got from in the book, she got 25 years. It appears in the movie, she got them yeah. into the late teens. I guarantee you for a fact. The reason that Luis has no problem going through with what she goes through is the amount of joy you get having children easily outweighs the pain. Now, the pain, I, I haven't experienced the pain of losing a child. I have lost, I have experienced the pain of losing children to be twice. And that hurt. But that pales in comparison to what I've had with my daughter. So for me, this question, this movie is without a doubt, I make the exact same choice as Luis. Wasn't Which there is, that famous saying of it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? Mm -hmm. This idea of like, you know, you know, you're going to get the good times. You know, there's going to be stuff after that's going to be absolute shit. But you do it anyway, because the, the times that are good outweighs the times that are bad. The, yep. the parallel parallel film I'll draw here is one that I know the three of us all really like. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless ah. Mind really makes a similar argument. It really makes the uh -huh. same argument where even if you know that it's going to end in catastrophe, you should still do it and let yourself enjoy that happiness in the in the yep. meantime. Yep. However, even though that movie makes that point of view and I do agree with it, I think the distinction here is the daughter's experience. The daughter, yes, gets to know love and life and love their parents, but like the Louise at the end of the day is not only making a decision for her for her for herself to take the good with the bad. She's also making a decision to bring a person in the world who will experience a great amount of pain themselves. But the and whether or not, whether or not that plays enough of a part in the decision to change the decision, I'll leave up to the individual, but it does weigh into the moral significance of it. I think it, it makes it morally distinct from that eternal sunshine example I gave earlier. Yeah, does that make sense? It, I understand what you're saying, but then her other choice is for that person not to exist at all. It's not like mm -hmm. her it's not like the daughter suffers her entire existence. She suffers mm -hmm. at the end. Like unfortunately for a lot of us, we all do. Mm -hmm. Would so in your in your opinion, does it make a difference what if the daughter lived to 50 and died of cancer then? Mm -hmm. Does that That's make true. does that make a difference for you? I mean, it's it very much exists on a gradient that on on a gradient rather. That does make a difference for me. Of course it does. Like it's not like at this age if the daughter lives to this age, it's morally good. And if she lives to this age, it's morally bad. You know, it's like a, it, it can be, it can be a spectrum. Yeah. Like if like, let's say, 
let's say Louise knew for a fact that her daughter would be born into absolute agony for whatever reason and would live their entire existence in that agony. Like, that clearly becomes a bad thing to do, right? Agreed. But that yeah. is not the case here. I know. I know it's not the case here. I'm just setting the example that, like, there is a line, obviously. There is a line where, like, there is a, an amount of suffering this person's kid could experience where the act of having her would be morally unacceptable. Right? And I think she's well past that line. Okay. Fair enough. And that's, yeah, like I said, I'll leave that up to the individual. Yeah. I actually do not know where I sit on that myself. But that's, there's also kind of at the this... very least it feels icky and uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, that that the icky and comfortable does not even factor into my thoughts at all. Okay. Just yeah. just you know, speaking mm -hmm. speaking from someone who I guess is is older, yeah, and a father. Yeah, that's fair. I also think there's kind of this like, you know, be like she gets to know her daughter before she even meets her daughter, mm -hmm. so she's already sort of. Like she's already kind of created this bond with someone who hasn't, who doesn't even, wasn't even remotely close to existing yet. So it's this thing of like she already, she already feels something for this kid she doesn't even have. So uh, like, there's probably gets to a point where she's like, there's no way I can't meet this person. Mm -hmm. Agreed. She's already just like formed a connection with this kid. Agreed. All right, I love it. Yeah, that was that was a large <laughs> philosophical conversation again. I'm all about it. I'm all here for it. So to circle back to her using her superpowers, <laughs> she looks, right. she she looks into the into the future to get General Shang's personal cell number. Yeah. And again, Amy Adams' facial acting here, her reactions to learning things as General Shang shows her her number and she starts to realize oh past me is going to need this information to get to this information here now brilliant brilliant acting and brilliant again editing and storytelling here so she oh did you want to say something sam uh, I guess this would be a good, as good a place as any to put it. Um, I assume, Manny, since you always look up the trivia for each of the movies we talk mm -hmm. about, you probably know this already, but uh, and Jordan's nodding her head as if she knows what I'm going to say already, like she can see into the future herself. Yeah, I am uh, also Amy Adams. <laughs> Shang's uh, wife's last words. I wasn't quite there yet, but yes. Oh, okay. Uh, well, it's not explicitly said in the movie. There's no translations on the bottom or anything like that, but apparently translated into English. It's uh, in war, there are no winners, only widows. Yeah. And the writer was pissed that there were no translations in the movie. <laughs> really? He was really, yeah, he was really upset about it because he spent like, he spent a really long time making sure he got that translation right. He spent a lot oh, of time yeah. like studying the Mandarin and making sure that like what she was saying was exactly what he wanted to convey. And then it was supposed to be subtitled on the bottom. And then Denis was just like, nah, I don't want this in there. And he was a little upset about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, li I like that he doesn't put it in there. Very similar to uh, Lost in Translation. Yeah, hey, very true. Very nice. Uh, so you didn't jump too far ahead, Sam. So there's no worry. This is where she's calling. Uh, she calls General Shang, and uh, the tension builds as uh, as uh, Michael realizes uh, his cell phone has been stolen, and uh, the army starts to close in on her location as she's desperately trying to use her gift 
to get the information she needs so she can convey it back to General Shang in the present time. Fucking this time travel stuff is wicked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as she's trying to, I guess, uh, remember and create the memory at the same time. And uh, it's a powerful scene. Uh, Villeneuve ups the tension. It's, uh, it's just a well-crafted scene. I really got nothing else as far as notes towards the end here. I just have, I mean, a series of quotes because the, the writing at the <laughs> end is so good, but we're, we're also not quite there yet. Okay. So it is resolved he or she gets the information to General Shang. They call off their attack, and uh, they realize that all twelve of them have to work together to uh, to facilitate the answers they're looking for. And the ships disappear, which leads me to question: How exactly do they travel? Yeah, they just sort of disintegrate, right? Yeah. So are they? moving so fast that it appears to disintegrate is it some type of teleportation is it some type of time travel who knows who cares it looked cool I don't... my money's gonna yeah, be on absolutely. teleportation by the way teleportation <laughs> just in case there's any bookmakers out there who want that uh and then we get some more glimpses into the future when hannah says daddy Fucking start crying again. <laughs> Just fucking tears streaming down the face. This not ugly crying, but definitely more crying than before. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I have, and then you guys can touch on whatever you want. It really, truly bugs me that Ian leaves. Now I know it's needed to create two opposing sides for this question so we can have this discussion but i can tell you right now as a father i would not fucking leave you're saying it bothers you that he leaves when louise tells him that their daughter is going to get cancer yes yeah yes i mean yeah i think that is that is part of what you sign up for as a parent is the thing i mean i think it's a scummy thing yeah, it's it's a sh it's a shit thing to do, and there's nothing in this movie that makes me believe that that was something this character would do. Mm. But again, it's in the future. Who knows? He might have gone through some shitty stuff and can't handle this type of information. Uh, I don't think it's a betrayal of the character. It's not a huge thing. It just has always personally bugged me because I could never imagine just walking out on my daughter. If only this character had been a bit more developed, that way we could say whether this is in character or not. I'm totally fine. <laughs> I'm 100% fine with an undeveloped male character. Me too. 100%. I'm so, fine with it. The, the point I was making at the beginning is, like, I in no way want to say, want to imply that his character development is nearly as important as Louise's in this movie. This is Louise's movie. Amy Adams is, like, by far uh, the most important thing in this movie. All I'm saying is... This decision to go with Ian uh, is the is the big emotional climax for this character. This is the completion of Louise's arc, of our main character's arc. So I think, like, knowing all of the pain that's coming her way, it would at least be nice to see a little bit of a spark between the two of them. So we could, like, kind of get it, you know? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe the more important factor in that is their daughter. It is. But, like, but then... 
But then is she just going to go with some guy who she only kind of halfway knows and only kind of halfway likes, who she doesn't really have a spark with, just to kind of use him to birth this daughter? Like, that just seems that just seems not right either, right? Am I alone in that? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I guess I can see it when you downplay it that much. Yeah. It's not <laughs> that she has zero chemistry with this person. They mm-hmm. obviously like each other. Yes. They just yeah. aren't. They just aren't hot for each other like they mm-hmm. show in every other movie. These yeah, are two, These are two intellectuals who are bonding over their intellect, not for their sexiness. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. And their shared experience of meeting aliens together. Yeah. yeah. It is easy. Probably it's... not a lot of time for, for fun stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Except li- in the book. And they're living it. And they're living <laughs> There's it. a little bit of time in the book. <laughs> they, they fuck in the book? Well, they, they go on a date. Oh, yeah, right. they go, they go, they, they go well, on a date. They, they, like, they go, like, they, they do act, like, in the books, they do, like, there's a couple of, like, they kiss, and, like, they go back to Gary's apartment. So there is a little bit more. They, they are a little bit more fleshed out romantically, but it's also only 60 pages. So you still Emphasis only get, on like... The flesh. <laughs> what a whore. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, that's the end of the movie. Is there anything that we didn't touch on you guys want to uh, talk about before we move forward? That's pretty well it for me. I like uh, the ending. The ending is just chock full of superb editing and great quotes. Um, but we'll likely get to some of those in the best quote section. Yeah, I'm gonna take this time <laughs> to go on just a little, a little, a little adaptation rants. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of want to go over some of the things that are different. We've touched on a lot of them. Um, obviously, one, Hannah dies while um, rock climbing instead of getting cancer. Gary's name changes. It's annoying. Um, the book is a lot less political. General Shang doesn't exist. There's no attempted murders on the aliens. There's no war room um, kind of set up. It's a lot more kind of relaxed, not probably what, even close to what it'd be like in real life. Um, we don't actually really get to, like, there's no real description of what the ships are because you can't see them from Earth. So it was cool to actually get to see uh, the ships. Um, obviously the change of the names of the aliens. Perfect. Thank you for doing that. Um, one thing I found very interesting is that the ending, um, the book doesn't give us a reason why the aliens are there. The aliens don't have a purpose. They're not in the book. They're not there to ask for help in 3000 years from, from humanity. That's not, there's just no reason why they're there. They're just there. And then they just leave. Um, but the one thing I wanted to go into are either of you familiar with Fermat's principle of least time. No. Okay. So this has to do with refraction. So you know how when light hits water, it changes its angle, mm-hmm. right? Just due to the to the change of state, light light yeah it shifts down a little bit, because right? Because it it changes speeds. It's going through yes the, yeah. yeah it's going through a different. So there's this theory that the light is taking the quickest route to its destination. But Mm -hmm. in order for light to take the quickest route, it needs to know where its end point is in Mm -hmm. order for it to make that change. And it can't know it while it's happening because it has to do it before the light hits. Mm -hmm. So if the point changes, the light has to be in a different place in order for it to be going the fastest that it, like going like taking the least amount of time to get from point A to point B. Okay. And that's kind of been a, that was a very important of like it was constantly brought up in the book that in order for you 
to go through the path you're going through now, you need to know where your endpoint is so that you can actually get there the way you're supposed to. I see. So I like that was a very big and there's like there's a lot of really good quotes in the book that really, really go in depth on this principle and how it relates to their language. Um, but I just think it was really cool. And I like reading, reading all the different passages in the book I found helped me to visualize what was happening in the movie a lot better after seeing like, like watch the movie. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Read the book. And then I watched the movie again and I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It clicks, mm. I think, so much better. Like the, the like the like the fact that the language is, I know that I need to get to point B, and this is how I need to get there, but it's already, it's already there. Like I'm not thinking about how to get there. I'm just, I'm just doing it. But I know what my point B is, and I know exactly how to get from A to B. And it's that kind of like non-linear. It's just another theory that I found very very helpful when reading the book, and I thought. It, it really helped me understand the how their language worked in the movie. Yeah, I, I can that, see how that, that makes would. Sense. I can see how that would be a useful illustration. Like it does make sense. Yeah. I'm sure it was probably cut for time. I know like, why they like it. I think it makes like it's. And again, it's why I love this adaptation so much is because that worked so well in the book because the book is very science heavy. It's very, it's very brain heavy. It's very you know you need to understand this, this, and this to get from here, here, and here. But the movie is a much more, it's a, it's such a more of a visual medium that the changes they made, excluding that, like that would have to take like a good 15 minutes out of your movie just to have like Ian explaining that to you. Yeah, And there's really are... no like points in the movie where you kind of get that like smart person needs to explain something quickly. Let's get that out of the way so that it helps. That it's not scene in my mind is Amy Adams on the whiteboard. Yes. Like explain yeah. that sentence. Exactly. But that's like super helpful to the story. I think I think the omission of it in the movie is fine because of the way the movie went. Mm. Which is get like it's one of my favorite adaptations because the book did what it needed to and the movie changes changed for the better, which is so fucking rare in an adaptation from a book to a movie. Usually mm -hmm. the changes are terrible. They're so annoying. It's like, why the hell didn't you include this? Yeah. And I don't have any of those for the book and movie. I think this movie is just nerdy enough as it is. It's like exactly. just right where it needs to be in yeah. terms of nerdiness. The inclusion of the Sapir Wharf hypothesis is already like, yeah. okay, I, I think I can handle just that amount of yeah. knowledge. If there's one exactly. iota more nerdiness, we might get a little bit of a brain cramp. But... It's like just pretentious enough yeah. <laughs> that most people can still sit and watch it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even if you're just like, wait, I wasn't paying attention during the Sapir Wharf hypothesis scene, yeah. what's going on? You can still you don't lose the movie. too much. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, that was my that was my tangent. All right, I got some trivia for you guys. Let's do it. For it. Uh, director Dini Villeneuve and screenwriter Eric Hessier create a fully functioning visual alien language. Hessier, Villeneuve, and their teams managed to create a logogram bible, which included over a hundred different completely operative logograms, seventy-one of which are actually featured in the movie. I'm sure most of those seventy-one are in that scene with like the tapestry yeah. of logograms uh, i want that bible <laughs> mm -hmm. while the shape of the ship was decided early on denis villeneuve had great difficulty imagining an interior that would allow humans to easily navigate through such a steep and vertical design 
the later decision to turn gravity sideways offered an obvious and convenient solution. Uh, the classical musical piece that bookends the film is On the Nature of Daylight by Max Richter. Its prominence during the film and the fact that it was a pre-existing track meant that Johan Johansson's score was deemed ineligible for an Academy Award despite yeah. being highly acclaimed. You were waiting to drop that one on me. I was. <laughs> God, R.I.P. Johan Johansson. For oh, people who don't yeah. know, uh, I mean, speaking of early deaths from cancer, I'm pretty sure it was cancer for him as well, though I'm not totally sure. Um, but yeah, it was uh, a great talent taken, I think, uh, I want to say around 40 years old. Uh, someone who Man Manny and I have both talked about as a composer who had great prominence in this field. And a great cocaine and flu medication. It was from what? Cocaine and flu medication. Right. A combination. So, so definitely not cancer. Not cancer. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even so, uh, still, still tragic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, Mont Montana is also the site of first contact between humans and aliens in Star Trek lore, as first mm -hmm. revealed in Star Trek First Contact from 1996. Uh, cool. An homage to Contact, uh, a film in 1997 that I love, by the way. I never uh, watched it. Yeah, it is paid by using Hokkaido as a site where the secret second vessel was built in Contact. Mm. Uh, the heptapods in the movie bear an uncanny resemblance to an octopus-like creature appearing in Martin Villeneuve's Joisiland. The fact oh. that Denis Villeneuve's younger brother came up with an image some 14 years prior to arrival has led some viewers to speculate about retrocognition, which is at the heart of this movie. Ooh, very nice. They are also relatively described that way in the book, so that's not... It's, it did still come from the source material. That is roughly mm -hmm. how they look. Uh, for his work on the film, Bradford Young, the cinematographer, became the first African-American to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Cinematography. However, he was the second person of color to be nominated in this category after British cinematographer Remy Adafarasarian was nominated for his work on Elizabeth. Mm. That was what, 1998? Nice, yes. <laughs> so it took 18 years for a second person of color to be nominated for a best cinematography. Yeah. At this rate, we'll be, look out 2034. <laughs> Another black cinematographer coming your way. Yep. Uh, the reason the ships never touch land is explained by production designer Patrice Vermette, stating the 12 identical ships would travel across the universe and end the journey by hovering 28 feet above the ground in delicate equilibrium, leaving it to Earth's people to make the final outreach to contact them. Mm. Cool. This was something you touched on, Jordan, and there's a quote here that I thought you'd appreciate if you don't know it already. But Arrival builds to a set piece where Banks and Adams must prevent General Shang from sparking a war by launching an attack on the spaceships. With space and time at her disposal, the protagonist drifts to the future where she meets Chang at a party where he thanks her for preventing the attack, explaining how she did so. Banks echoed his wife's dying words. Arriving back in the present, Adam's character calls the general and repeats the words, leading him to withdraw his forces. While director Denis Villeneuve opted to shroud the line in secrecy, screenwriter Eric Hesse was more than happy to reveal it at the Alamo Drafthouse Fantastic Fest. It translates as, quote, In war, there are no winners, only widows. End quote. Hesse previously explained on Reddit, quote, I worked so hard on the dialogue in Mandarin for Denis spent weeks crafting the lines that he finally approved, 
and then that scoundrel goes and doesn't use subtitles in that scene. I guess there's something to be said about the nature of language, and I love Denny, but he's also a mischievous fox, end quote. <laughs> cool. I do like knowing that Denis Villeneuve uh, is a mischievous fox. Right? <laughs> That's a good line. I found no casting rumors, just this note. Amy Adams was Denis Villeneuve's first choice for Louise. She agreed to the role within 24 hours of reading the script. Yeah, I yep. don't think anybody could turn that down. You read that script and you're like, I want a part of this. Mm-hmm. Know uh, what you're saying. Favorite quote. Sam, why don't you start us off? Sure, how many do I have here? It looks like I have uh, five. This isn't really a super dialogue-heavy movie, I feel like. I intentionally omitted a lot of conversations for the sake of uh, you know being concise. But yeah, here we go. Uh, okay. Number one. Despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. Nice. Number two, if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? Maybe I'd say what I feel more often. I don't know. Number three, trust me, you can understand communication and still end up single. Uh, number four, let's say I taught them chess instead of English. Every conversation would be a game. Every idea expressed through opposition, victory, defeat. You see the problem? If all I ever gave you was a hammer, everything's a nail. Uh, and number five, in 1770, Captain James Cook's ship ran aground off the coast of Australia and led a party where they found the Aboriginal people. One of the sailors pointed to the animals that hop around and put their babies in their pouch, and he asked what they were. The Aborigines said kangaroo, and it wasn't until later that they learned kangaroo means I don't understand. So uh, I need this that we don't misinterpret things in there. Otherwise, it's going to take 10 times as long. Great explanation. Awesome. Jordan. All right. I think I have... I have seven, but a lot of mine overlapped with Sam's. Um, my first one is uh, Ian. I think he's reading uh, a quote out of a book. He just says, language is the foundation of civilization. It is the glue that holds a people together. It is the first weapon drawn in a conflict. Um, number two. Uh, so Hannah, this is where your story begins. The day they departed, despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. And I have a brief interaction here. Um, between Colonel Weber and Louise, where he just, um, he says, uh, uh, Gravisti, he says it means an argument. So this is about like the Sanskrit word yeah. for war. Uh, he says, um, what do you say it means? And Louise Banks says, a desire for more cows. <laughs> I just love the delivery of that line. Uh, and then I have the same one of, let's say that I taught them chess instead of English. Every conversation would be a game. Every idea expressed through opposition, victory, defeat. You see the problem? If all I gave you, if all I ever gave you was a hammer, everything's a nail. Uh, and then I have... Uh, between uh, Louise, Colonel Weber, and Ian. Uh, Louise says, how about we just talk to them before we start throwing math problems at them? Colonel Weber says, this is why you're both here. I'll bring the coffee. And then Ian just says, coffee with some aliens. <laughs> I also have Ian Donnelly saying, upon entering the alien ship, holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then I, I also have the, if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? Maybe I would say what I feel more often than I, I don't know. You look like, you know, I've had my head tilted up to the stars for as long as I can remember. You know what surprised me the most? It wasn't meeting them. It was meeting you. Excellent. Well uh, I have six. I have, uh, you guys have all of mine except <laughs> for one. So I have Ian, language is the foundation of civilization, is the glue that holds the people together. It's the first weapon drawn in conflict. Number two is from Ian as well. You know I've had my head tilted up the stars for as long as I can remember. You know what surprised me the most? It wasn't meeting them. It was meeting you. 
Number three is a conversation between Luis and Colonel Weber. Let's say that I taught them chess instead of English. Every conversation would be a game. Every idea expressed through opposition, victory, defeat. You see the problem. If all I ever gave you was a hammer, everything's a nail. Number four is from Luis. Now that's a proper introduction. Mm. Number five is from Eden. Why did they park where they did? The world's most decorated experts can't crack that one. The most plausible theory is that they chose places on Earth with the lowest incident of lightning strikes. But there are exceptions. The most plausible theory is that Sheena Easton had a hit song at each of these sites in 1980. So we just don't know. And number six <laughs> is Ian. Holy fuck. <laughs> Sam, cool. what's your winner for favorite quote? Uh, I'm going to go with the kangaroo story. Nice. Nice. Jordan? Um, I'm going to go with the, uh, the day they departed, despite knowing the journey and where it leads. I embrace it, and I welcome every moment of it. Excellent. My winner for favorite quote is, holy fuck. <laughs> Sam, your favorite scene? I have six candidates, the kangaroo story, the first encounter, uh, the what is your purpose on earth explanation on the whiteboard. Uh, I have, uh, we didn't even talk about this scene and it's really just a tiny moment, but I felt like I should throw it in here. Um, Louise's hallucination when she's dreaming and she sees one of the heptapods in the corner. When I saw this in the theater, scared the shit out of me, actually. (laughs) Do you recognize, do you recognize that shot? Yes. Uh, enemy. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't when I first saw it because I hadn't seen Enemy then, but I have now. And I'm like, hey, it's the same shot from Enemy. Yeah. Jordan, have you seen Enemy? No, not yet. I think it's I think it's like the only one I'm missing from him. Weird-ass movie. Weird. Uh, number five, I have Louise talking to Costello after Abbott's death. And number six, uh, Louise's conversation with General Shang. Awesome. Jordan, what do you got? All right. I also have six. Um, I really like that scene at the beginning uh, where they're in the classroom and we only see the reactions of Amy Adams and the students. Um, and we don't actually like see the aliens. We just hear the news and stuff. Um, the first scene where we see the ship um, in its just field is beautiful. Um, I like the scene where she uh, writes on the screen with Abbott before the bomb goes off, that whole thing. Um, her talking to General Shang and understanding what it uh, what it is that she's really been given. Um, I actually really like the helicopter scene where Louise and Ian first meet and the kangaroo scene. Awesome. I have six. I have uh, calling General Chang and using her gift to remember slash create a memory. Uh, The non-zero sum game scene. Uh, The attack on Abbott and Costello. Uh, The kangaroo scene. The breakdown of what is your purpose on Earth and the ending. Sam, what is your winner for favorite scene? Uh, I think I am going to go with... That's a tough one. Uh, Feels like a cop-out, but uh, I really do love that kangaroo story, so I'm going to go with it for my favorite (laughs) scene as well. Awesome. Jordan? I really like the whole time where she's talking to General Shang and she's telling herself what the answers are. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, I'm going to go with the attack on Ivan and Costello. All right. Closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Jordan, Amy just, Adams. Just Amy, Amy Adams. Adams should have been nominated, and I am so insanely salty she didn't. I think I've only seen two of the performances from that year for the uh, Best Actress. And hang on, I just lost it. Emma Stone and won. Yeah. I think, yeah, Emma Stone won, and then I've seen Natalie Portman and Jackie. So I don't know about the other three. I'm sure Meryl Streep was great, as she always is. But I think Amy Adams should have been nominated. I, I, I'm going to agree with having only seen one of the best actress performances. 
if the other four are better than this, then I need to watch those movies. Because mm-hmm. this is just an absolutely true to force performance from Amy Adams. I don't think I can give a supporting actor nod to Jeremy Renner. No, me neither. Especially considering the other actors in there, and I've seen four of them. Uh, I have also seen four of them, and the fifth is Michael Shannon, who I really like. Same. I the only thought it was. I... Oh, sorry, Jordan. Go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna. Do you guys do other Oscar categories separately? We do. Okay, never mind then. Go ahead. I always found it weird that Dev Patel got a supporting actor nomination for Lion. He got a supporting actor nomination for yes. Lion. Yes. Oh. Right. Okay. So who's the lead in that movie? Yeah. The little kid. Nah, I, I mean Dev Patel's more of a lead than that kid. Yeah. Yeah. His face is on the fucking poster, and that's it. It's just his face. Mm-hmm. Weird. I know, super weird. I need to rewatch that movie. Me too. Yeah, me too. I remember really liking that. I saw it in theaters with Don. Shout I, out to Don. I loved it and bawled my eyes out. Yeah. Mm. Uh, this is the question you were waiting for, Jordan. What other aspects yeah. of the film are award worthy? Uh, special I, effects, and it didn't get an arm. That's out of everyone that's nominated, the only one I would kick out would be Deepwater Horizon. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I haven't seen Deepwater Horizon. Eh, you don't need to. <laughs> it's fine. It's it's an enjoyable yeah. movie. It's worth watching yeah. and then never watching again. Yeah. I remember I, I really wanted, uh, I'm pretty sure I really wanted Doctor Strange to win this one yeah. because I, there's that section in the middle where he encounters the Ancient One for the first time, which is yeah. fucking insane. I, at the time, I wanted Doctor Strange to win. In retrospect, I want Kubo and the Two Strings to win. I still yeah. haven't seen that. I watched it. It's really good. I think that's the only one in the in that whole group I haven't seen. Um. Anything else? I guess it got. Well, I, I mean, it was nominated for. It was nominated ten. for everything else. Yeah. Yeah. The only um, the only other ones it wasn't nominated were are costume design and makeup and hairstyling. Yeah, and we yeah, already talked about matter. why it's not why it's not eligible for best original score. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to find the one category that I felt strongly about. Yeah, Hacksaw Ridge. I I only saw Hacksaw Ridge once, and I can't really remember how it was edited, but I have seen Hell or High Water, La La Land, and Moonlight, and like I wasn't as impressed by the editing in those movies as I was in this one. And y'all know how much I, I love La La Land, but Arrival is, like, the editing in this movie is insanely good and contributes so prominently to the story. It's that rare mix of editing being noticeable, but also being good. (laughs) That's fair. I would love for it to have won Adapted, but I literally haven't read anything else that's in that category, so I couldn't speak to it. But I think its adaptation was brilliant. Well, I think in the Best Adapted Screenplay category, I don't know how much the adaptation aspect of that actually... I guess, yeah. Like, I think they are still just... They're on the screenplay, screenplay, it's just an adapted screenplay. Yeah, exactly. I highly doubt that the Oscar voters go back and <laughs> That's true, read, they definitely read haven't. five books. People yeah. who are in film, they don't have time for that. Hey, they had an easy year this year. Arrival was short, Fences was a play. They're fine. Yeah. Weak link of the film. Weak link of the film? I don't really have one. Amy Adams CGI hair. Oh, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, otherwise uh, I really don't have... I personally really don't have one. No. Uh, for a romantic interest, Ian is a boring yeah. character. 
Which is fine because we've gone through many, many, many decades of women being boring romantic characters. So, but I am also not going to excuse it because if the roles were reversed, (laughs) I would definitely be. If this movie was about Jeremy Renner and his journey of trying to communicate with the aliens, I would definitely be calling out how weakly written Amy Adams was. So, oh yeah, so would I. So, fair's fair's fair. Fair's fair. Was this anyone's career highlight? Um, It's kind of tough. I don't think it's Denis Villeneuve's. Nope. No. Uh-uh. Um, not, not even. Not, not even. I'm sorry. Not even at the time. I know he gets uh, nominated for best director, so I guess it could definitely be argued. But I, I, I think Sicario is a better film. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, let me just pull up Amy Adams real quick. Like I'll say, when I think of Amy Adams, I do think of this movie, but I don't necessarily know that this is her best, like performance. I mm-hmm. might do the fighter. I haven't seen, seen the that. fighter. Yeah, here are uh, the the movies that I have seen Amy Adams in. Let me see. Uh, I always forget she's in Catch Me If You Can. Uh, oh God, <laughs> briefly. She- She's in some bad movies in the early 2000s. Uh, Talladega Nights, Tenacious D, both of which I like, but are bad movies. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, then The Fighter I haven't seen. Uh, Man of Steel, Her, American Hustle. Man, that's all 2013. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman v Superman is Lois Lane. No. <laughs> Arrival, uh, Justice League. God, she's in way too I didn't realize she was in this many movies in the DCEU. I didn't realize the DCEU had that many movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then just Vice yeah. is the only other one I've seen her in. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say this is Amy Adams' career. I, yeah, I think I could do that too for me as well right. for the shitty movies I've seen her in. Fair enough. Yeah. Just, just so we're clear, just so we're clear, you guys are picking. This is her career highlight, despite the fact she has six, six Oscar nominations, not for this one. Yeah, well, yes. Okay. Wait, what are what are her six for? I know she got nominated for what? American Hustle? Did she get nominated for The Fighter? Yep. Um, where else are we here? Probably. Hill, um, Hillbilly Elegy she probably got nominated for, right? Yeah, I think. I haven't seen it. I don't want to. No, despite T-Bone's no. constantly pressuring me trying to. I don't trust T-Bone's movie suggestions even a little bit. I don't trust T-Bone. I get, I get nervous every time it's his t- it's his turn to pick a movie. So mm. she would have gotten nominated for Doubt. Mm. She would have gotten, I think she, and she got nominated for Junebug, which is the one that is the movie that put her on the yeah. map. Oof, mm. She was she was in uh, Dear Evan Hansen this year. Hey, I didn't see that, but I, I don't even absurd. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> Did <laughs> you watch it? No, because I I can't bring myself to because it's gonna be bad and I'm gonna be so upset. So I'm just not watching it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna be I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving that as Schrodinger's cat. It's both good and bad until I watch it. <laughs> oh, the master. That's the one we're missing. I I don't think I've seen that one. I haven't, but it's been on my watch. I'm honestly looking as much as I love her. I have not seen very many of her movies. <laughs> well, you're not a real fucking fan. I just really love her in the stuff that I have seen her in. To right. be fair, I watched the show she was in, and that was like a good like 12 hours of content right there. So, but yeah, I always forget she's in Talladega Nights too. All right, who's the MVP of the film? Oh, hold on. Actually, there is a, another career highlight. Uh, and the career highlight is uh, 
where is it? Uh, Bradford Young, cinematographer. Yeah, mm-hmm. nomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really a career highlight for all black cinematographers. Yes, and I can only name one, Bradford Young. There you go. Which is horrible. Yeah. M- MVP of the film. Uh, I mean, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. The man constructed a technically flawless movie. Yeah, I have I have Denis, and I also have the screenwriter, whose name I can't remember right now. Eric Hessier. Hessier, that's it. Uh, yeah, it's Villeneuve all the way. Yeah. What will be this film's legacy? Uh, one of the one greatest of the most... sci-fi movies ever made. I was gonna say that too. One of the best, one of the best speculative fiction pieces out there, as well as probably the most optimistic first contact movie you will ever watch. <laughs> I yeah. would love if this is how the world does it, but it won't be because humanity doesn't do it this way. But I would love for them to. Do you disagree? Well, you guys haven't seen Contact. No. <laughs> And Manny is just trying to figure out how he can make this argument without yeah. spoiling contact for me. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> uh, but I agree. I think this is one of the best science fiction movies in, in, the, in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy. Uh, would you watch this movie again? Yep. Hell yeah. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yep some of them this is not a movie i think for everybody and i know i have some friends who would struggle if i sat them down to watch this movie so yeah it is actually a slow burn of a movie when yeah. i think about the first contact scene uh, where they're walking down the yeah. anti-gravity hallway that is a long scene yeah. of people walking down a hallway and that's like not I, everyone. I spent some time on Letterboxd reading some reading some reviews because I find Letterboxd reviews very amusing. Um, but I know a lot of like the criticisms of this movie are that it's really slow and it doesn't it's not always very engaging. And I know there are some people who like if a movie is over two hours, it needs to be like a Marvel movie or else they're not going to watch it. So I recommend this to people who I know would like this type of movie because I think everyone should watch it, but not everyone will like it. Reading Letterboxd reviews is the film equivalent of the YouTube comment section. <laughs> it's been so entertaining. There's some really good ones out there. Yeah. Sam, your final thoughts on Arrival. I was happy when we made the call to watch Arrival. It's one that I uh, am always dying for a revisit of because uh, there's so much... Uh, deep philosophical material to access whenever you do. There's a lot of discussion to be had. It is a uh, technically insanely well-crafted movie, and it is simply a movie made by one of our favorite filmmakers today. That's Denis Villeneuve. I think the movie is incredibly optimistic about humanity's chances of surviving a first contact and not royally pissing off the aliens. Um, I think arguably even too optimistic, but you know, who, who needs to be reminded of the doom and gloom when they're watching a movie? <laughs> um, so I think the movie is really optimistic. I think that um, even though it's about aliens, uh, at its core, it's about uh, humans. I think Ernest Hemingway said, all good stories are about the human heart in conflict with itself. Uh, this movie is very much in that vein. I think Amy Adams at the helm proves why she is one of the uh, finest living actresses. Uh, fine in all senses of the word uh, and uh, I was really happy to revisit this and uh, it made me even more pumped uh, to see uh, what 
a, an amazing filmmaker can do with the sci-fi genre, which is a nice teaser for next week. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, your final uh, thoughts on Arrival. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> um, it's just such a... I find it so refreshing. I Over the last kind of like, I would say like five-ish years, I've really started to realize how much I love a good, uh, good, solid philosophical sci-fi movie. I love the, I love when they're able to use space and aliens as a backdrop to really tough questions and really interesting concepts that you're thinking about all the time. And I think about this movie a lot. Um, and I also really appreciate it that it introduced me to one of my all-time favorite authors now. He has short stories up the wazoo, and I just love reading all of them because he's got such a fantastic brain and he has such cool concepts. Um, but this movie is just... It's it's a beautiful movie. It's visually pleasing. It's well written. It's well acted. Like there's nothing I would really change about this movie. It's something that I go back to constantly when I just need a comfort movie that just makes me feel good when I finish. Once I turned it off, I'm like, yeah, I was satisfied. You sit on the couch, blanket, cup of tea, and it's just like such a nice such a nice evening when you're watching a movie like this. So I was I was very very excited. Um, when you guys asked me to come on to do this episode, because this is one of my all-time favorite movies, and I love, you guys know I love any chance I get to nerd out on something like this. I will always take it. So I was so excited to get to do this with you guys. So that was we awesome. We are a nerd-friendly zone here. <laughs> the safe space for nerds. That's right. You guys are gonna have to get me on a movie I dislike someday. Be very no, it's not gonna be next week. Super won't be. Next I certainly week. hope it's not next week. I oh super my hope God. it's not next week. How disappointing is that going to be? <laughs> like two years of waiting. <laughs> Arrival's a movie I love by a filmmaker that I adore, who after three movies at that at this point in his career, this would have been at the time his third movie of his that I saw, catapulted himself into my top five favorite directors of all time. Since then, he's added one more film to his resume and has only increased my love and affection for him. He's about to add another, which actually is debuting tonight, which I should be at instead I'm here. Talking I know, about. I was going to go tonight was, too, yeah. and I'm like, God damn it, I'm recording a podcast. I know, <laughs> I know. He is a brilliant filmmaker with an incredibly bright future. He... Like I said, he's one of my four favorite directors working right now, and anything he makes, I will be there most of the time opening night. Like podcast tonight prevents me from doing so. <laughs> this movie is a brilliant film from top to bottom. It is carried by the excellent work of Amy Adams and supported by Jeremy Renner in an underwritten role, but we don't mind because... Uh, for a hundred years, it was the female who had the underrated <laughs> role. Uh, Forrest Whitaker lends his presence to it, which gives uh, the character of Colonel Weber some uh, much-needed gravitas uh, in the few scenes where that's needed. He excels at it. It is absolutely delightful to watch and to experience uh, as you listen to Johan Johansson's beautiful score that was deemed ineligible because of an inclusion of another song doesn't diminish the power that his score uh, projects. This movie is an absolutely spectacular film, 
and worthy of all the praise that we have heaped on it tonight. How much praise we're going to heap on it is about to unfold as we rate this movie out of five. Sam, start us off. What are you giving a rival out of five? In my previous time logging this on Letterboxd, it was a four. It's a five. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent choice. Jordan? This might come as a shock to some of you, but it's also a five. That is, <laughs> a sh- I am shocked. <laughs> Color me shocked. This might come as a shock to you. <gasps> but this was a five. Oh, shit. This is the first time I've been on a podcast that we've all rated a movie the same. It's always been different. Yeah, every single time. Uh, I'm trying to. Okay, so Harry Potter's obviously we all had different ratings. Yeah. Toy Story 4, I think I gave a four. I think I did too, but I think Manny. I almost think I gave it a three. Azkaban. No. You gave, yeah. We were three, four, five on Azkaban. And you were on, what, Deathly Hallows Part 2? Yeah. Okay, yeah, and I gave that a 4. So did I. And uh, Jordan a 5, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Toy Story 4. <laughs> Let's see, where is that? Why can't I find it? Is that 2019? Uh, yep. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's pre-pandemic. Okay. Oh, wow. We were like, it was 5 for me, 4, and Jordan gave it a 3. I did give it a three. That's right. Oh, I could probably put that to a I have four a feeling now. you would revise that for yeah, sure. Yeah, I can revise that. And then Annihilation, yeah. Fours for yeah. me and Sammy and a five for Jordan. Yeah. Unanimous. We did it. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> peace among worlds. Yes. Much in the theme of the movie. Aw. Well, thank you, Jordan, for joining us for Arrival. Uh, when we decided to pick this movie, uh, Sam immediately said, Jordan's going to want to be on this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll text her right away. It yeah. Was great. No, it was a, go ahead. It was a great message. It was a great message to get. And it was funny. Cause I was like, I'm literally about to be on another one. Is this allowed? Yeah. Yes, it is. Can't We're wait. This is great. Who can make it be allowed. <laughs> yeah. We're dictators up in this bitch, except apparently when we're doing Halloween polls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Uh, on that note, it has been alluded to many <laughs> times tonight. So it's I think it's time we actually tell the people, if they haven't already guessed what's coming next week. Um, next week, I have, I've already termed it uh, the episode that's finally going to turn this podcast around. That's because it's episode 180. So, you know, turn around. Uh, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Uh, finally, two years, two years of waiting for this goddamn movie. If it isn't spectacular, I'm gonna fucking freak out. Uh, it is Dune, the newest Denis Villeneuve movie uh, that has taken so fucking long because of the pandemic. It was way too goddamn long, and I'm sick of waiting for it. I've been avoiding trailers for that long. Yep, same. Yet to have anything about this spoiled, except for I think a little bit of the cast. Not you sick. haven't seen a single trailer for it? No. I oh, close my eyes and plug my I ears every time in the theater. I am so close <laughs> to making it to this movie without being spoiled. I am going to be so vigilant over the next I couple of days. I am so insane. jealous. I've, I've watched. Yeah. I've, I, got, I got stuck with one trailer when I was at the movie theater. 
Yeah, me too. I've seen I've seen the same trailer like three times because it's always in front of movies. I'm like, I've been avoiding marketing material like the play. Yeah. Oh, so. I, I love you, good sir. I love you. <laughs> and guess what? Next week, Jordan is joining us. It's a tour. <laughs> it's a back to back. Yeah, back to back. First yeah. in the history of the podcast. She goes. I'm about to break the guest record. That's right. She's going to be again. the all time leader. <laughs> Yeah, Shards had a very short-lived record, yep. two short-lived records. Uh, one was number of appearances, which was tied today at five. The other was distance between appearances. He had a one-episode gap. We had Mallrats, <laughs> and then a gap. Was it, was it two episodes, Chasing Amy and Dogma, or just Chasing Amy? No, two. Two? Okay. Two episodes in between, and then another. Well, Although, uh, uh, three, because we, we had Chasing Amy, Shang-Chi, and then Dogma. Right, that's true. Okay, well, that still beats Jordan's previous record, which would have been the Harry Potter gap. Oh yeah, that would have been I think four. Yeah. 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 So now Jordan's reclaiming that record too. I'm taking all my titles back. She says, "Not in my house, Chards." <laughs> yeah. I am back. Yeah. Well, we look forward Our... to having you back next week, Jordan. Thank you. Oh, again. I can't wait to come back next. Pleasure week. as always. It's gonna be so much fun. Hopefully, we're back oh, here at this desk yeah. next week talking about how <laughs> dune is one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made and about oh, yeah uh, about whether it's above godfather below casablanca <laughs> or like where Holy. exactly it slots in there <laughs> hopefully that's the discussion that's being had next week I oh i'm this, so ex- i'm so excited for it the problem, the problem with two years of build-up is like this movie literally can't be good enough it can't yeah be. Yeah, this movie's definitely going to run into that problem of we've been waiting for so long. So many pushbacks, so many new dates. This movie has to be perfect. <laughs> this was my most anticipated movie of like 2019. <laughs> was it 2019 or 2020? 2020. 2020. 2020, I guess, yeah. yeah. So in our top of 2019 yeah. movie, I listed this as my most anticipated movie of 2020. And I said in that episode, oh, God, I can't believe I have to wait a whole year for this movie. <laughs> God, if only I could go back and pinch that little naive boy's yeah. cheeks. Little did like, he know. Wait for these next two years. Look at all that's going to happen. Enjoy. Jesus. By the way, go buy a lot of toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> There was a moment, I didn't even talk about it in the movie, there was a moment where they were talking about how there was, like, a shortage of, like, because of all the aliens, there was a shortage of, like, food and gas, and, and the borders were all closed, and I was like, oof. They forgot toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Yeah, they forgot Constantly. toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Yeah. Damn. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jordan, for joining us. We look forward to talking to you next week about Dune. Please remember to Gracias. rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you can find us at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at Sam Manny movie podcast at gmail.com. Eh, follow us on Facebook at Samuel Manny movie podcast. Who gives a fuck? Let's get the fuck out of here for the Samuel Manny movie podcast. I'm Manny Manuel. This is where your story begins. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios. <laughs>